Welcome, welcome to The Sharp Way. Yes, I'm Larry Sharp here again, Monday evening, 8 to 10, trying to entertain you to the best of my ability. You guys got to help me out by joining this program this evening. If you want to join the program, go ahead and call in 573-427-5463. Give us a call and you can ask questions of me or my awesome, amazing Super cool guest that I have this evening, and that is the one, the only. He is a blogger. He is a journalist. He is a Reason Magazine at-large editor. Super cool guy, and he really knows the Czech Republic super more than anyone I've ever known. The one, the only, Matt Welch. Thank you for coming, Matt. Thank you for correctly identifying me as a blogger. That's yeah. all I. That's all I really want. There was a uh, at the two thousand four. I want to say Democratic uh, convention in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hanging out with Dave Barry, which mm-hmm. is one of the yes. perks of my job is that every four years I get to hang out with Dave Barry somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> he's brilliant, by the way. He's hilarious, super libertarian. Yes. No, I'm not supposed to say that out loud. Yes. Um, and uh, and small L. Um, and he uh, back then bloggers were all the fad. Yes. And so that was the new media story going in there. It's like this is the first convention that had bloggers. Yes. Uh, and uh, and so he saw me and he said, "Hey Matt, how does it how does it feel to be a blogger?" And I was at this point in my life, thirty five years old, mm-hmm. I had been doing journalism since I was eighteen, and it felt great to be a blogger. And I just from that point on, uh, and including at that convention when mm-hmm. people talked to me, I just assumed that they were spelling it wrong, and I thought and I internalized it as booger. Booger. So, like, yes. you know, this is the first booger-covered uh, convention. <laughs> I love that. Yes. In major part of history, well, well, that, 2004. Well, dancing. if you had a booger-covered uh, covered convention, you definitely would make the news. Yeah, see, right? So, yes, it's good either way. So, yes. But you also have your own podcast. Uh, yes, two. Two. Podcasts. So, oh, two. it's The Reason well, Podcast. You are cooler than I My am. primary employer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are The Reason Editor's Roundtable Podcast, which mm-hmm. I attempt to be the point guard on mm-hmm. with uh, Catherine Mangie Ward, the editor of Reason, uh, Nick Gillespie, my fellow co- uh, editor-at-large, and uh, Peter Suderman, who is, Lord knows what, articles editor, some damn thing. But anyways, okay. so we talk about uh, Monday morning, here's what's going on. There we go. And we argue with each other about that. And then I also, in a more drunken way, mm-hmm. am a co-host of a, of a less regular but uh, possibly uh, more slurry uh, podcast called The Fifth Column mm. with Michael Moynihan of mm-hmm. Vice News, but hosted uh, primarily by Camille Foster. Gotcha. Uh, dear friend, Free nice. Media and well, Anthony Fisher. Pe- people, please support those um, those podcasts, but also support mine. And you can support mine too if you want to. You can head over to patreon.com slash sharpway and give whatever you can. If you like this stuff, please let us know. Help me out. Put a couple bucks in there. Get a cool t-shirt. Get a cool mug. Enjoy. Um, I want to change if I could a little yeah. bit. You do consider yourself a journalist, really, mm-hmm. as we're joking around, but you really do consider yourself a journalist. And I know while you definitely aren't a big L libertarian, you watch the libertarian movement closely. And party. And party closely. I'm worried, and I'm worried for a very specific reason. I look at 2020, and whoever wins the presidency in 2020, for the sake of argument, it, it could be Trump, obviously, but for the sake of argument, we're going to say Biden. Who knows who Democrats will pick? Argument's sake, Biden. If, if Trump wins... What happens to the country? If Biden wins, what happens to the country? Either way, right? If Trump wins, half of our country is going to say, the Russians did it. Oh, my God, right? If Biden wins, half of our country is going to say, it was the deep state. 
No matter what, it's going to look like half of our half of our country is going to believe that our president is illegitimate, regardless of that of either one of those outcomes. I'm concerned that this is the worst we've been in at least my lifetime for sure. That's my feeling. Am I exaggerating? Am I not? So the worst of my lifetime uh, uh, exercise is always interesting and worth mm-hmm. doing. I think I'm a little bit older than you. I'm, I'm 51. I was born in 1968. Um, uh, yeah, you're like you're like maybe five minutes older than me. I'm born in 61 also. Um, I mean, 50, 68 also. 68 also. So yes. we're, we're the same age. Uh, so I just look better than you is why. That's, that's not a lot. Only even difference. A little, a little bit. Yes. Uh, so the 70s super duper sucked. 1968, yes. the year of our birth, more Americans died in Vietnam that year Absolutely. than have died in every war combined Ever since, hundred uh, percent. So there's there were a lot. You know, we we're, were shooting a lot of good people. Yes, we were absolutely <laughs> not not yes. just necessarily at war, but like Martin Luther King got yes. assassinated. There was there were riots that could be seen from space. Okay, uh, on, in Washington D.C. So it really sucked. But the seventies also uh, also sucked. I mean, yep. I was I was uh, walking here. We're kind of in the Lower East Side mm-hmm. uh, of New York, and I was having uh, uh, some kind of PTSD flashbacks because okay. the first time uh, you're a New Yorker, I'm a Californian, so I was mm-hmm. sheltered growing up, and all we knew about New York was Escape from New York and right. other documentaries that were made. Cool in, guys in, like uh, Kurt Russell <laughs> in the period, <laughs> yes. And I had never gone uh, east mm-hmm. of like Vegas in my life, and then drove cross country, spent a few weeks here, and then flew to to Europe. Um, but 1990 was that year. I was yep. 21. Um, there were 2,242 murders mm-hmm. in New York. I, I think last year there was 200 and something. Yep. Um, and I remember how bad it was. We're, we're, we're recording this. Right? We could walk to Tompkins Square Park. That wasn't an option. Right. In 1990. You could try yes. to walk to Tompkins Square Park. If you Park. had four guys who were packed, you might make it. You might get beheaded, which right. is something that happened. That's correct. Yes. That summer while yes. I was here, there I'm was just, just a light beheading. You might make it. I didn't say you were. God, I wasn't guaranteeing things. I was saying you might. So uh, there were moments that were bad, and, sure. and but also political moments. I mean, it, uh, the the early seventies were a lot of people. This is after the best and the brightest generation had absolutely screwed up. Uh, in Vietnam, sure, uh, with the surveillance states and a bunch of other stuff, and a lot of people who had been kind of idealistic, uh, new left uh, Democrats in 1964. By 72, they're like, "Screw it, let's go blow up some cops." Absolutely, uh, uh, there were hijackings right and left. There were domestic terrorist groups all over Western Europe. Right. Uh, there was a Cold War for crying out loud. There were missiles pointed at one another. So. I want to check myself before I wreck myself on kind of unusual amounts of pessimism that I share with you about the current moment. You but just, I like, scubed me. Well, I done. didn't mean to. Uh, I love that. To, uh, oh. But uh, no, I, I share your pessimism yes. about this. I wouldn't say that it's half and half the country. It's more like the one third and the one third of the country are just so dug in right now mm-hmm. and then p- the people kind of scattered throughout they either choose a side or not or they just kind of feel this 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 free-floating sense of ah i, I was uh, yes i uh, completely agree I'm i was just th- there I did was a four-day trip just this over this weekend in upstate new york and i see it i'm with you go there's ahead a, there's a clinch uh no I, talk forever i was thinking of uh so i covered the ralph nader uh, uh 2000 campaign i was a nader supporter then which uh, so i voted for him despite <laughs> so despite covering him <laughs> yes so did uh I. and having a lot of misgivings about him but such was my uh, disillusionments back then but he was like selling out madison square garden and mm-hmm. and a lot of weird stuff I was remember. happening and he got 2.7 percent of the vote it was a it was a real phenomenon so i i was i got to be hanging out with the uh People, his entourage, mm-hmm. uh, which included Patty Smith uh, and her I didn't boyfriend. Know that is that right? Michelle Shocked, uh, Tom Tomorrow, the cartoonist, uh, uh, his real name is Dan Perkins. Anyways, Tom, who's a 
I've always found it to be a sweetheart of a guy, uh, and I like his cartooning. Uh, I saw him on Twitter, and, and I hope, Tom, if you're watching this, uh, don't take this the wrong way. He's lost his ever-loving mind. Uh, he had, like, the series of, of tweets uh, that was based on Sean Spicer being on Dancing with the Stars. Wow. And he's like, people, this is not okay. We've got to stop this normalization. This is, we've got, you've got to contact everybody. You've got to clear your time war. This is not okay. Do you understand? This is not okay. It's like, dude, it's just Sean Spicer and it's just in a green blouse. Yes, it's no big you deal. You gotta at all. like. There's a lot yes. of problems going on, and maybe that's a, like indicative or pointing in some direction. But no, no, it's not. No, <laughs> or it it's just Sean Spicer. It's just Sean Spicer embarrassing himself in a blouse. That's all it is. It's, it's a guy who has no future trying to have a future. But that's the, all that is. The the problem that I see and and have uh, uh, felt in my bones um, since Trump kind of escalated mm-hmm. into our lives, and the reaction to that, and even the rise of Bernie, who I don't. Uh, loathe in the same way that I loathe Trump, although I'm, he's, I'm getting kind of sick of him, to be honest with you. Um, and he's rent control for everybody. Like, he's just crazy. The 1%, the 1%. Uh, look, it's the same thing <laughs> yes, every time. Absolutely. But uh, uh, no, the, to see the response to all this uh, and, and to see especially what's happening in both Western and what we used to call Eastern Europe, all these kind of populist convulsions, the, the kind of rough neoliberal consensus which is like the worst word i mean even today pete Buttigieg is saying neoliberalism is the problem like dude i thought that you were the poster child for that um but anyways we had sort of like a rough agreement very rough what wasn't filled with a lot of day-to-day agreement but that hey let's all kind of trade together mm-hmm. let's reduce tariffs if we can yep. let's sort of be nice to each other and yes. hopefully not have too many wars although there's going to be more wars than we should but like it was all sort of imperfectly stumbling in a direction. It was the theory of the mm-hmm. case. That theory has, has blown up and there's nothing that has replaced it yet. Um, so far, it's been mostly a tantrum, a tantrum slash corrective because mm-hmm. a lot of what it, what it has done is exposed the way that all that stuff was kind of coasting yep. without democratic legitimacy. You didn't check in on the people. You got to check in on the people. You can't just sort well, of have but a, an operating here, system that kind of goes. Right. You, you have another issue here and that is you're, you're finding people who are basically fighting against Sameism, right? We 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 don't want a global government. We don't even want a lo- we don't even want a, a federal government. We don't even want a state with localism, localism, localism. And I think part of that is fractured media, right? I think that's one part of it. But it's also an idea that you don't know who I am, right? I want to feel like I'm special. Look, look at politicians now. The best politicians are are doing things like Trump. He's tweeting, right? Or Yang, who's who's hanging out with people and surfing, right? Or 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 people like that who are touching the the people, who are touching them and being human and saying, I know you, I get you, I'm holding your hand. You know, Bill Clinton won because he shook all these hands that he was he was the guy. The George idea W. Of Bush having, actually had that talent. We don't think yes. of it, but I've seen him in a room absolutely destroy the room with Shaking everyone's hands. Yes, and calling them nicknames. Learning a new nickname he for them. He was the nickname guy. Yes, The he one was. time I was in a room with him, I was like, you're not going to shake my hand. You're not going to give me a nickname. And uh, Did he? I, I hid behind somebody. Oh, nice. Well like done. a man. Well done. But my point being, the idea of having someone who the world sees as elite, if that makes any sense, I think that concept, people are starting to reject it. I think what Dave Smith was talking about this, he was talking about the idea people are are fighting against the center, right? They want to pull to one side. They want to pull away from things because yeah. things just aren't working. They aren't doing – they aren't going right from – they aren't seeing things getting and, better. And also and also, there is a real sense and – and I mean that like not as a sense but as a reality that uh, – uh, you don't have a say in how, the decisions that are made. Yes. That's a bad. That's a bad dollar. I mean, Absolutely. I saw this 
my wife is French, and so I and I lived in Europe for eight years, so I have a little bit of connection to France and some other countries. And um, it, whenever French people or anyone else gets super stupid and mm -hmm. conspiratorial about America, yep. it's rooted in because America is doing this thing that I don't like. Right. Probably my government is going along with it because America is so big it gets to do what it wants, and we're kind of scared of it. Right. Or maybe even the, you know it's France, so they'll go eh, no, I think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, so they'll go against it, but the 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 way that the that particular kind of like conspiracy or worldview operates is that we don't have responsibility for our own affairs. Yeah. And that is bad. Yes. That is you, whether you need to, uh, whether it's illusory, whether it's whatever, if you are not uh, as a, a sort of a governing system uh, deriving your consent from the governed, they're going to. Look, I teach this in you. business. I mean, I do business classes with you for a living during the day when I'm not doing cool stuff like this. I'm actually teaching people things just like this. And one of the things I teach in leadership is when you have a meeting, you don't want to walk in for a meeting and go, I'm the boss. Here's my idea. Don't you love it? And then everybody goes, yes, boss. We all love your idea. And then it never works because no one actually cares. It wasn't their idea. They didn't feel heard. The most important thing is in a meeting is everyone is heard. They don't have to be right. It doesn't even have to be their idea. But if you won't take the time to hear them all, they're not going to be on board. And that works in politics too. It's just leadership, right? If if people aren't hearing or feeling like they're being heard, they're they're going to not support you. Even when I was running, I had people who didn't like me, but all of a sudden they heard me and I would go to their town and they would go, oh, that guy actually listened to me. I disagree with everything, but I'm going to vote for him. I mean, I'm and sure they you... would vote for me even though they disagreed because I actually listened to what they had to say and I gave them an honest answer even though they didn't like that answer. There's some of us who work in journalism who enjoy the uh, sort of uh, 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 game of seeing how long an initially super hostile response to something that you've written or said or done uh, can be turned into a, oh my God, like you're my best friend. Can I send you some cookies? <laughs> yes. And uh, and oftentimes, this is especially true in newspapers. It's less true now in the era of social media because uh, people just want to be nasty. Uh, right. And, they, and they're and they more used to the interaction, yep. at least in the sort of the dart-throwing way. But uh, you write something for a newspaper. The newspapers, you know, from LA. So the LA Times at its peak was just this colossus. It had 3,000, 4,000 employees. It was the biggest newspaper in the country. The last thing that they ever wanted to do is to talk to the little people. Yes. Uh, and so the little people would sort of sit there and, and, uh, and type their uh, kind of strangled reactions to things. And uh, and then always very polite and always mm -hmm. you know thank you for your letter and etc. And just the act of that it was yes. so different and startling. Yes. One thing that you said, I want to uh, sort of uh, twist or take issue with uh, somewhat in that. Um, yes, people want to feel like they're in, in charge of what they're doing, but it's not necessarily a local feeling, right? Like one of the I think one of the ills okay. or, or one of the pathologies of our era right now is that your neighbor damn well knows who Nancy Pelosi is mm -hmm. and Donald Trump. And they might know, depending on how much they're interested in it, like, you know, an Adam Schiff or a Mark Meadows or, you know, these characters who are mm -hmm. on a national stage. Right. Um, the local politics is evacuated. Like so few people can, 
name their uh, congressperson or no, this councilman or yes. or you know lord knows whoever is is uh, providing or or making decisions about their public education of the kids um because uh, and it's part because of the sort of clench that we all have we're so yes. like on edge with one another about what happens nationally um that we've lost the muscle uh, a skill of just having normal social interaction with your damn neighbors. My no, damn I, I, I think you're right now. I'm, I'm, and the point, the point I was being is we feel like it should be local, but right. we don't actually do it. Right. Yeah. And we think that the guy up top who we want is the guy who cares about my local community when he or she probably doesn't. Right. That Couldn't isn't the issue. Couldn't find it on a map. I yeah. never forget this. this is a very important thing that really landed for me when I was campaigning. I was up in North Country, New York, and there was a farmer, and the farmer was t- explained to me how he had a six-generation farm, right? He had had his farm and his family for six generations, and he's getting ready to lose his farm. And I was like, oh, my God. And then he asked me a question. And you would think, well, what's the first question this guy would ask me about losing a six-generation farm? The question was, what do you think about Trump? Yeah. Wow, you're going to lose your farm. And no matter what, I'm running for governor. So Trump's president, if he loves Trump or hates Trump, that doesn't change. And Trump's not going to help him either way. It doesn't matter. Who could help him? A governor could help him. That could actually help him in this state. Especially because I had a farm plan, which would be even better. I actually had a, a plan for farmers. So I actually had a plan for that. And he didn't. He was, to your point, he was saying up here because this is how I judge if I can trust you. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's how I judge that. Or they use a wedge issue, right? uh, Immigration, abortion. They use a wedge issue. Whose side are you on in this thing? Whose side are you on and therefore I can trust you. Yeah. If you you say the wrong answer here, whatever else you say is irrelevant. I'm not going to pay attention to that because obviously you're just a plant or an evil person. And and now look, remember how – uh, uh, Cuomo ran for re-election. What were his ads about? All about how I'm going to stop Trump. Yeah. That's were, it. It was Trump. It was Trump, yes. Trump, and more Trump. Yes. But the, the worst, the Republican wasn't any better. He was just going, Cuomo's corrupt. Cuomo's corrupt. That's what we say. We knew he was corrupt. Right? I travel across the state now, and, and I and I ask people, you know, Democrats, do you like Cuomo? No. Nobody likes Cuomo. And then Republicans get mad at me and go, why do they keep voting for him? Because they're not going to vote for a Republican, man. They hate Republicans more. I mean, that's it. it. You they know hate what Republicans it's like to more. try to explain to people about de Blasio. Like, yes. New Yorkers hate him more than they hate Trump. That's correct. And he wins by 40 percentage points. Every How time. is that possible? How is it like, possible? Yeah. Yes. New York's yeah. weird, man. Yes, it is. We, we, we are so afraid of the other, right, that we'll just we'll vote for our guy. Fine. I, I hate our guy, but the other guy's way worse. But also we had uh, – we – I mean in California, you people go to hell. But uh, uh, You live in New York. New now York, you're one of us now. I know. It's terrible. Yeah, I, yes. go to, I go to the local education meetings all the time. Just because you awful. like the angels doesn't mean you're not a New Yorker. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean uh, Democrats basically had a lot of Republican mayors or independent mayors and Republican governors or independent governors for a long time because there was a sense of, well, God, yes, we're all Democrats. Uh, uh, they do this in Massachusetts all the time too. It's like – Okay, everyone's going to be a Democrat. Great. Let's get a Republican mayor or a Republican governor in this case, because there's got to be some check on the system because you don't want to go full Dem. Yeah, but look, in New York State's gone full Dem. New York City has gone full Dem. They've just done it. But even years ago, how it worked was a Democrat in New York City was a socialist, right? And then a Republican in New York City was a regular Democrat. That's what actually it was. I mean, you you ran Republican because you weren't prepared to be socialist. So you said, I'll run Republican. Even though I'm a Democrat, I'll run Republican anyway. Just got a different party, right? You just do it. But you look at New York City Republicans, they're really close to Democrats or traditional Democrats. Maybe not now. The, the AOCs of the world are not really kind of what we are now. 
right? What Democrats are now in that regard, New York City. And some people in New York City don't even like AOC. You do find, you find that also. But the Democrats in New York City find a Republican besides in Staten Island. I mean, that's about the only place you no, can find a Republican. There's little pockets in Brooklyn, but not, yeah, my, not my pocket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yes. they had the DNAinfo.com back when it was still uh, going force. Uh, had a great, like, almost block-by-block block map of voting in the in the 2016 election. And it's amazing. Like, my entire... Um, my neighborhood, I think, went 91 or 92% Hillary Clinton. Yes. I think Gary Johnson came in second. And then, uh, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, Donald Trump, like it is, and, and, you know, they, they color code it all. And it's just like the deepest, deepest, deepest possible blue. And then just little bits of, yes. of, of red, uh, here and there. But the, the, the thing that, uh, is, uh, is kind of pathological about it is precisely how that focus goes crazy. Like the, my local city councilman, who's actually conscientious, I disagree with him strenuously about a thousand things, and he, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he puts together meetings about the Gowanus Canal and all this kind mm-hmm. of crap. He does stuff, yet half of his communications are about like, you know, we have to stop Betsy DeVos once and for all. Yes. Like, Dude, a- absolutely. you're my city councilman. Yes. Can we talk yeah. about the damn potholes <laughs> exactly. and like the, the rogue yes. F express and the stuff that, but no, but he's not wrong to do that. He's responding to the incentives, of the political marketplace, which are, yes, we want to hear about this thing for precisely the but, reason that you elucidated Larry Sharp. But isn't that the reason why we want that third party is, and then, you know, I, I'm clearly biased and I don't care that I'm clearly biased. Um, I want that third party because the third party will, will change that. And why will it change that? If we have a powerful or at least viable libertarian party, then they will have to come up with better Republicans and Democrats. They just have to do it. Why? Right now I can just go, I'm 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 blue, I'm not I'm not red, so you vote for me no matter what. And they do. Right now, again, across New York State when I was running, half of the Republicans in New York State didn't know the name of the Republican candidate, but voted for him anyway, because he had an R by his name. He could have been a terrible candidate. He was a terrible candidate, but he could have been a terrible candidate. It didn't matter, right? Cuomo's a terrible governor. It doesn't matter. But what if there's a real libertarian in the race? And here's my proof this is true. In New York State, both the conservative party and the Republican party leadership both fell after our election. The results showed that the people were just tired of this. They were tired of losing, tired of how bad they were statewide, and the leadership fell. There's new leadership now in the Republican and conservative parties in New York State, and I take 100% full credit for that. Why? Because they've been losing for 16 years and nothing ever happened. There was not even a chance of them losing leadership. There was no challenge whatsoever. This year, all of a sudden, gone, both of them, and the leadership of Scope, one of the Second Amendment uh, groups, gone, all gone right after the election. That's the Libertarian Party. I wonder, showing power in this state and embarrassing them to where they go, you know what? We have to actually be what we say. We can't just keep lying. I want to believe, uh, as they say, uh, and I don't know um, uh, particularly this uh, this issue. What I wonder is there's a, a really interesting piece in the Washington Post over the weekend. 40% of the Republicans in Congress on Trump's uh, inauguration day are either gone or are retiring. Forty. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty short period of time. Yes. I mean, there was a big wipeout in the midterm election. Um, a, lot, a lot of factors went into that. Yeah. But still, 40% is a, a big number. And um, and if you see uh, at a lot of the state GOP levels, um, particularly in uh, early uh, primary states, um, you see kind of like longstanding Republicans kind of washed out and replaced by 
Trumpists. Yes. I mean, because when Trumpism came on the scene, there weren't a lot of people like that. That's true. Jeff Sessions was a bit like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul LePage up in Maine was probably the most Trumpist type of guy. Chris Kobach in Kansas, terrible human being, um, uh, was also a bit Trumpist. But there wasn't a lot of Trumpist infrastructure here. Um, And so I wonder, I don't know anything about New York, um, but I wonder if some of the leadership changes uh, throughout the country in general are like like how the Republican Party has generally responded to Trump, which is with an initial obvious visceral shudder of revulsion, like, oh, this is goes against the half dozen things that we used to say that we cared about for uh, forever, especially <laughs> right. when the Democrat was in charge, to like, oh, I still want my jobs. Right. So, okay, I'm yes. Lindsey Graham and I love Donald Trump, yeah. uh, <laughs> yes. which is crazy. Um, so- uh, I wonder if people are just uh, uh, changing their spots ideologically and like creating a Trumpist architecture because the Republican Party has to become something. And this is another reason to get to your sort of sense of pessimism. Uh, what happens after Trump? I I don't think that people forget how everyone behaves. I think this could be, and I'm going to use, because I am a military guy, I'm going to use a, a military uh, analogy. Trump could be, for the Republican Party, it could be Gettysburg. Or it could be Stalingrad if you're going World War II. It doesn't matter. It's the, the, the final battle that looks like you're going to win. And then once you lose it, the war is really over, right? If, if the South marching on to Gettysburg at, in, in 18, was it 1863, was it? 1863, mm-hmm. they march on Gettysburg. They're feeling, we're invading the North. This is going to be awesome. But once Gettysburg's over, the South probably should have surrendered at that point. The war was already over for them. Of course, they're going to keep fighting. I understand why they were fighting, but they probably should have surrendered at that point. There was no way they were going to win at that point. Once the Battle of Gettysburg was over, that was it. When the Germans lost Stalingrad in 43, they should have just surrendered. I understand why they kept fighting, but they just should have surrendered. The war was over. They were never going to win, right? At that point, the, the, the elites knew the war was over. You're fighting for other reasons than just to win the war because you can't win it. You're hoping for a better peace, right? You're fighting to hope for a better peace because you know the war's already over. My, my, my concern is this may be what Trump is. This may be the end for the, for the Republican Party. And I say that because the country is going left. If you look at any measure, you see they're going left. And I say it all the time. The biggest reason is urbanization. 80, was it 80% of all, uh, all Americans live in cities? Now something like that. It's some, some huge number. I don't know if that's exactly, but something like that. And more and more moving, right? They're rushing to, to cities because after 2008, there's, there was no real recovery except in cities. And about 20 U.S. cities are responsible for like 80% of all the jobs in, in the country. So everyone's rushing to cities. They rush to cities. They become left. It's natural. We live on top of each other, multicultural, transient, beg for government to be our, our referee. You find us to become more, more left. It's just happening. Where does the Republican Party go? Does it be, just become more left? You see that in New York State. The Republican Party is becoming more left. You see it. And they're trying, you see the people they ran. The Republican Party last year in the gubernatorial uh, race ran a lieutenant governor who said, who was anti Second Amendment. You know, the SAFE Act in New York State, for those of you who may not know, the SAFE Act is an anti gun uh, law, uh, or um, I guess you might call uh, um, an anti Second Amendment law. She literally said, literally said, doesn't go far enough. This is Republican. The Democrats are supposed to say that. That's what they do. I get that if you're a Democrat. This is Republican, right? We go to a debate. I'm the only guy who says red flag laws are not required. The Republican says nothing. He's the Republican. He says nothing. So I feel like that's what they're doing now. Does that mean the Republicans just become Democrat light? 
I don't know what the answer is uh, once Trump goes away. Did they replace an, Trump with another one? It's an interesting uh, – I'm, I'm sure they would try, um, uh, but it's a conundrum. And I think there's something about blue states and what happens to the minority party, which is instructive. I mean, the go-to analogy – that a lot of people are assuming will be true or is true already for the national GOP is what happened to the state GOP in California. Yes. We forget now, California was a Republican state. Yes. The Los Angeles Times was a Republican king-making newspaper. They like they chose Richard Nixon to be someone yeah. to back. The, Ronald Reagan out of California. Ronald Reagan out of California. There was Come on. The, the motto on the LA Times where I worked. Uh, for many years was true industrial freedom. They got Look at that. blown up by union terrorists like in 1919 in one of the most famous acts of domestic labor terrorism uh, in U.S. history. Um, so it was not unusual to have Republicans around. Um, Pete Wilson was the governor back in 1990, was up for re-election again in 94, I believe. And if I'm getting some of the dates wrong, sue me, but I think that's correct. Don't and sue him. After the end of the Cold War, um, uh, particularly where I'm from, Long Beach, California, kind of the, in the South Bay of, of L.A. County, um, experienced in a really negative way the peace dividend of the end of the Cold War because mm -hmm. all of – everyone's dad was an engineer, mm, meaning, right, sure. meaning aerospace. There was yes, like 400,000 sure. aerospace jobs. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up right next to McDonnell Douglas, which I think their peak employment around 1987 when I was a teenager, 86, they had like 85, 90,000 people mm -hmm. out there just cranking out You look at that too planes. in Long Island and a bunch of places, yeah, uh, absolutely. Their last plane went off the line uh, I think like 10, 11 years ago. I went – and had a look at it. There's no, nobody there. It's now mm -hmm. owned by, by Boeing. But like an, an incredible uh, collapse of like the biggest industrial thing. And of course, it was artificial on, on some basic level. Like, you know, it's the federal government fighting it's, the Ruskies. It's, jobs, at, at it's all. a jobs program. Foreign aid jobs program. It did. Cold War jobs program. Absolutely. You know, they, they, they yep. absolutely did create a lot of very uh, interesting things there. For sure, uh, and there's a whole uh, airplane and aerospace culture that even predates the Cold War there. But whatever, those jobs kind of went away. Mm -hmm. um, there was, and for the, and because of that, for the first time in four decades, four decades—that's a long time. Mm -hmm. um, real estate stopped going up. Yeah. So housing prices, which were supposed to go up forever, forever, and you could get, you can go out of high school, get a job like twisting lug nuts on the mm -hmm. airplane, and like a good job with the bennies and the whole thing, and you can buy your cheap house. Like mm -hmm. it was a great deal for people. And almost overnight in between 91, 92, 93, it went bad. And then if you also remember just kind of all the horrible things that were happening in LA yes. in that little period, there just fires and OJ and earthquakes and all this, like in a concentrated period of time, stuff was, was going pear-shaped. So NWA came out. And well, that was the good part. But uh, <laughs> yes. so what uh, is the like logical response? Uh, what is the thing that most people blame? Government. Mexicans. <laughs> they blamed Mexicans. Got to be government. Come on. It was oh, amazing. Are you telling me they're not libertarians? Okay, fine. Uh, no, I remember. Uh, I remember a very good friend of mine from high school. Super smart guy. Uh, uh, think valedictorian. Mm -hmm. uh, went to uh, one of the better universities in in uh, in, in California, and, and I was back in '91 and sort of saying, "Hey, what's going on? What's going on back in the hood?" I was visiting from uh, from Europe, 
And uh, and he's just like, you know, it's all these goddamn Mexicans. And it's like, no, it's the end of aerospace and it's the end of a 40 yes. year boom. And like, it sucks and it's hard to do, but it's really, it's not the Mexican who drove away the aerospace job. So Pete yes. Wilson at that moment as governor realized there was a meal ticket there and there was a proposition, Proposition 187, who at this point, I even forget what Proposition 187 did, but I think it was taking away state benefits and welfare benefits from illegal uh, immigrants and some other stuff too. And he had a famous uh, TV ad, um, a picture of of uh, of uh, like a, a Mexican mom and like two kids running mm-hmm. across a freeway saying, "I remember that they keep coming." Yes, um, and uh, people freaked out. The entire political class is like, "Oh my god, this is objectively racist." Pete Wilson, who had been a moderate Republican mayor from San Diego, kind of a nondescript kind of uh, character, rode this uh, uh, ballot initiative and rode these politics to a pretty stunning re-election victory in sure. 1994. And there are a lot of think pieces right then, as you can imagine, there have been since Donald Trump got elected, like, wow, you know, this is the future of the Republican Party. Nope. Yes. This was Gettysburg. And, I, um, and ever since, uh, California has not been Republican. That that was my idea about the Gettysburg. You get it completely. Look, guys, if you like what, what you're hearing, um, it's important that you support us. Head on over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Do us a favor, throw a couple bucks there so that we can keep this kind of conversation going. It's important. And if you do it right, you can actually get a mug or this cool shirt. Yes, you can get this cool t-shirt. Not the exact one I'm wearing, but one just like it. You can also get a Reason t-shirt also. Yes, you could. You can get a Reason t-shirt too. I'm not sure how, but. But not at Sharpway. (laughs) Not there, but you could get one. I'm sure you could. Uh, So yes, please do that. If you want to join the program, 573-427-5400. Six, three. All right. Um, I want to bring up something that you just mentioned. Um, we are different as Americans when it comes to government and blaming government. I was joking when I said blame government. I right? blame Mexicans. I was kind of joking. What I mean by that is in many of the more industrialized or if you want to call them more developed countries, they, don't, they have a head of state and a head of government, right? Two separate people, right? Head of state, they have Queen of England is the head of uh, state and the prime minister is head of government, two separate things. And if they're separate, we don't have that. We have one, ultra powerful. It's different for us. He becomes in many ways, it will, maybe one day it'll be a she, but right now it's, he becomes almost like the, the, the symbolic leader and ruler, almost like a king or emperor, because we don't have a king or emperor. He is both the, the, the state and he is the head of government. On top of that, did I ever tell you this story about when I was in Japan and people were talking to me about burning flags? No. All right, good. I'm glad. I told you so many stories. I didn't want to tell this one again. I was in Japan for many years. I was teaching English over there. And when I was there, um, people would say, Larry, why in the world do you Americans get so mad when they burn your flag, right? No one burns Japanese flags because we don't care. They can burn <laughs> Japanese flags all day. We're not, it's not going to make the news. We just we just don't care, right? It doesn't matter to us, right? Um, so no one ever burns a Japanese flag. But you burn an American flag and you Americans go nuts. You want to start a war over it. Why? I said, you don't understand something. In Japan, you are bound by many things. You have a similar language. You all have a similar school system. You all watch the same movies. You, most of you have the same religion. Most of you have, you know, read the same books in high school. Most of you watch the same TV shows. You're bound by many things. You're bound by tradition. You're bound by culture. You don't require symbolism. It's not necessary for you to recognize that you're all Japanese, to recognize that you're all the same, to have that feeling of camaraderie and to keep you together. You don't require it. Americans don't have that. 
We don't all go to the same schools. We aren't all the same religion. We don't watch all the same TV shows. We don't do anything the same. We're very different. Symbols are critical for us. Without symbols, we have nothing. We're not even a country without symbols. Symbols are everything for us. That flag makes us together. Not our religion or the books we read or the people or the language we talk or the country we came from. That's all different. So we need symbols. That's why that flag matters so much. But on top of that, the president is also a symbol. Why do I bring that up? Because in most industrialized countries, when something goes wrong, the government falls. They blame the government. They go, you're the head of, of, of our government, and it didn't work. It's your fault. God save the queen. Right? God save the queen. But you, head of government, you got to fall. We have both. So when we have crisis, we jump to our leaders. We, we, we hope the king will save us. Think about 9-11. It's a perfect example. Happened on Bush's watch. Bush was like, I'm the greatest guy in the world now because I'll bomb people for you, right? The, the, in the case of crisis, it was it uh, Rahm Emanuel. Was he the one who said, never let a good crisis go to waste? Right. Was that him? Yeah. But yeah, he's right because we look to our leaders almost like kings and emperors, even though we're, su- we're not supposed to be that way. But we do compare to other countries. Yeah. When we have a crisis, we cry for our government to save us, protect us, send us off to war, do this thing. Others don't do that. I think that's that's a, a, that's true, and at the same time, we're experiencing a an almost a '70s style uh, disillusionment. Mm. I mean, the last time that we really felt that sense was the Iraq War. Sure, and now majority or close to majority of people uh, uh, correctly uh, believe <laughs> that the Iraq War is a mistake to get into, and Afghanistan is incredibly unpopular, and all this kind of stuff. So, like. Those things that we all believed in 90%, and it always irks me when people say we need to get back to that sense of shared uh, patriotism and, and, and 9-11. And I don't mind getting back to some elements of it that were actually nice. I recall um, even at the time when everyone was freaked out about potential um, anti-Muslim violence breaking out uh, in America, I was tracking the uh, bestseller lists first almost a full year after 9-11. And it was all like Americans were reading books about the Middle East and Islam. Mm. They're like, I feel like I should catch up. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, right. And there was actually a really good What's book. What's this Shia, Sunni, what is this thing? Yes. I wrote a, a, a review, I think, for Washington Post or Wall Street Journal or something, a book by Gustav Niebuhr, I think mm-hmm. the nephew of Reinhold Niebuhr. Um, he was a religion reporter who, after 9-11, uh, had the beat of going and... and uh, and talking about uh, how America was engaged in the sort of spasm of anti-Muslim violence. And he had to realize several months going in, it's like, oh, the story is actually kind of opposite. America is experiencing this really interesting moment of interfaith dialogue and mm. understanding. And, um, and you know, there's aspects that, that kind of um, maybe were submerged, then came out like during the 9/11 mosque discussions, and and some of this, I mean, certainly has been reflected in Trumpian politics and the Muslim ban and mm-hmm. some of the uglier edges of his immigration policy. So it's not like it went away um, those those feelings, but uh, we're capable of these uh, these kind of uh, nice moments too. However, most of the things that we associate with 90% really like this in a moment of crisis end up really sucking. It's going to yes, be the Patriot Act. Yes. It's going to be this, the financial 100%. crisis. Yes. No one uh, yes. No one had that rush uh, of feeling like, oh, this is going to be great, these bailouts. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one of the bailouts that was actually ever popular at all was cash for clunkers because it was a $4,000 oh, yes. check. Who doesn't That's like that? Right. I yes. like that. That's right. Yes. I well, I want to grab a, I want to grab a, call um this is a guy who wants to talk about uh press 
since you're a uh, reporter, maybe you'll be able to deal with that press. And that it causes violence. This is Jonathan from Westchester. Jonathan, are you there? Oh, hold on, Jonathan. We're going to get you in a second. Jonathan, are you there now? That's a nice cough, Jonathan. You all right? Oh, shit. You guys are early, man. We're there, yeah, man. It's, uh, the and it's okay. You can even say shit. Man. It's fine. Ah, damn it. Good evening, Larry. Damn hey, it, man. shit. You uh, are starting off strong. Keep going, uh, brother. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you both for... <laughs> this is terrible starting. This is why everybody sounds silly when they pick up on the phone. This the is the reason. goes from... Yes, it is. But beyond that, thank you both for your continued contributions to the liberty and freedom movement. Awesome. You both have made impacts in my life. I enjoy volunteering on your campaign, Larry. And oh, thank I you. Enjoy reading, I, I enjoy reading Matt's articles. Thank you. Um, quick question, kind of related to what you guys were speaking of earlier. Uh, Matt, do you think, since you was and still part of the press, do you think it's still a fourth pinnacle or arm of the government? And if so, how can they stop the radicalization of the citizens that are reading or watching that news? Well, I don't think that it is uh, uh, the fourth estate's job to change the behavior of the electorates, change the behavior of the readers. Cool. Um, I'm not uh, in full agreement with my co-professionals <laughs> on this uh, issue. There's actually a series of books uh, for a long time, I was uh, covering the media beat, uh, and and I would have to read all these kind of woe is journalism books that come out every year. And boy, there are so many, and they're always dreary. I think Jill Abramson might have killed off the entire uh, category this year with a with an error strewn, uh, plagiarized book on these uh, on these topics. But there's a a theory of journalism. Uh, I forget exactly what its name, but it's basically that journalism is this essential uh, arm of democracy, and that journalists should uh, see what they're trying to do is to sort of make change, uh, sort of effect change through citizens. And I'm like, you know what? You okay? That's what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you not to do what you want to do, but that's actually, I think, a, a, a not helpful way to imagine. One's work, even if you like me, are working in opinion journalism or uh, or sort of ideological journalism. Even if you openly root for certain outcomes to happen uh, on a policy, in particular front, which I which I do and, and have never uh, apologized for. Um, but I don't wake up in the morning trying to make new libertarians uh, or to try to like I do engage. Yeah, you do. I, mean, I do. Uh, yes. I, actually, we <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. we had uh, an, an interesting uh, talk with us on Dave Smith's uh, podcast. It's actually kind of a fundamental and interesting difference between uh, people. I don't see myself as an evangelist. And part of the reason is uh, that uh, I think that that, that road uh, madness lies. Like you mm -hmm. start to, uh, you, your, your essential functions as someone who's trying to discern uh, and understand and uh, truth uh, as it exists in the world, as opposed to how you would like truth to be, um, but hold on, but he's asking difficult. that question, but you know, how can you, if at all, repair it, right? These, these are your um, brothers and sisters in journalism. Is there something that we or you or any of us could do to shift more people more towards your style of journalism versus the guy on the left who just goes, yeah, I'm a journalist, but you know, Trump's horrible, Trump's horrible, Trump's horrible. And the other guy going, yeah, I'm a journalist, but Trump's great, Trump's great, Trump's great. 
How do we get people to not do either of those two? Well, okay, one bit, and this is important, and this is where a lot of consumers of media, I think, uh, do it badly, um, is that reward people for good behavior out there. Uh, uh, Be a conscientious reader and seeker and viewer of not just alternative viewpoints, but just like good journalism. You know, like the woman, what's her name? Mm. Julie Julie Brown from the Miami Herald, who Mm. advanced the Jeffrey Epstein story so much, like changed Mm -hmm. the trajectory of how things went because she just through the dogged nature of her reporting. Uh, Seek that out. If you have a Twitter account, say, boy, that was good. Mm -hmm. You know, there are occasions when people, (laughs) or like even people who are doing a good job questioning. I was looking back at... uh, the 2016 uh, early presidential debates. And I think the first one in the Democratic side uh, was a CNN debate moderated by Anderson Cooper. And uh, I, wa- I rewatched some of it and mostly read the transcript. And uh, for a piece I was writing for reason, kind of like, you know, what do we learn about the first debate sure. in a debate season, right? Uh, but my God, he did a great job. Like he came right out and uh, and just challenged the living hell out of all of the candidates, particularly Hillary Clinton, right out of the gate, um, calling into question her very questionable uh, veracity and honesty. And, you know, how should we trust you after Hillary X, Y, Clinton? and Z? What? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> okay. And uh, and reading this in 2019, mm-hmm. I, I said uh, to myself, I am going to go give Anderson Cooper a high five on Twitter right now. There we just go. Because I love that. it's three and a half years later. <laughs> Yes. But no, but seriously, like yeah. when you see good work, tell someone, hey, that's good work because they're going to want to hear that more. Sure. Um, and, and instead so of reward good behavior is what you're reward actually good saying. behavior and good. and also just be a good news consumer yourself. Um, that will make all of that stuff better. Gotcha. Jonathan, did that answer your question? Wait. Awesome. Yes, it did. It Thanks did. for calling in, brother. And, I appreciate uh, one it. One last one for a joke. Go one ahead. One last for a joke. Do Matt, it. On a hot dog, mustard, ketchup, or we've all voted at hot sauce. Uh, mustard. There you know what this is. I'll, I'll take mustard, ketchup, or hot sauce. Mustard. I've already right. voted mustard. You know that. Yes. Yes. See, yes. I told you. If you're it's really up to, if it's really up to me, it's going to be guacamole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a hipster. Look oh, at you. Oh my God. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Thank you. Both. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate. Great night. All right. I want to grab uh, another call if I could. This one's kind of interesting. I'm going to talk to someone who wants to discuss the Soho Forum. I don't really nice. know what that's all about, but we were both there, so maybe right. that's a cool thing. We're going to grab Christian from New York. Christian, how are you, sir? Hey, Larry. I'm good. How are you? Awesome. And Matt as well. Hey, Christian. Hope you're doing well. Um, I had a question. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but the uh, there was recently a Soho Forum debate uh, the, hosted by Gene Epstein uh, with Dave Smith and uh, Nick Sarwark, the uh, national LP chair. We were both physically there. We were both physically there, and we both both participated in a Mm post-forum roundtable discussion on Dave Smith's podcast. And we both just saw Dave Smith walk in outside in the (laughs) door of the studio that we're at. This show is done in Dave Smith's studio. Yes. So it's the Gas Digital Studio. It is, yes. Um, So the question was, (laughs) I don't know if Dave Smith's looking in, it might be harder to answer, but uh, (laughs) essentially... With his point of view being that if someone isn't anti-war, they should not be put up for election by the LP. Mm-hmm. Do either of you, and I know you said Matt wasn't really a uh, libertarian capital L guy, but yeah. uh, if there was one particular purity test that you would say makes it, you can't put him up at a national stage because it would kind of taint the brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering if what, what you guys thought that might be from your perspective. 
Mm, good question. I'll defer to the libertarian in the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> to, be, to be clear, I don't actually have a purity test. I have a percentage test. It's different. Mm. I think that most mainstream politicians, if we're going to bring them to the Libertarian Party, even most mainstream people, if we're going to bring them to the Libertarian Party, we are going – by the way, Dave Smith just walked just by putting thumbs, thumbs down. down yeah, yeah. So he's not happy with you at all. <laughs> uh, anyway, so – but I think I have, a, I have a percentage test. What I mean by that is I think that most people are going to want some type of government in general because they're afraid and they're worried. An example I give often is I remember people going to a libertarian uh, – um, uh, party meeting and they go to a meeting and the guy's like well you guys don't want to get rid of nasa do you i mean nasa's cool i mean went to the moon right and there were people in the party who attacked him we should have spacex and nasa steals my money I'm like no 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 no, fine you know what nasa that's the last thing we'll we'll deal with that last it's okay let's keep nasa right. for now there are other things we can work on so my idea is are you anti-war if you say yes but you know I think maybe World War II was okay, or I hear things like that often. You can still be libertarian. That percentage to me is okay. If you think World War II was an okay war, I'm not going to throw you out of the party because of that. I'm not. I don't right. think we should it's be in. Like I don't think we should be in any wars. That, in the future would be an issue, though, right? Yeah. Well, unless someone said again, if someone actually said, and, and if it was a politician, if they said, "I don't want any regime change wars, and I don't want to go to war." Unless our allies go to war. I don't like that. I don't want us having allies that will put us into war. I think that's yeah. not the right answer. But would I disqualify a candidate because they said that? I wouldn't. As long I as you're that's close enough. Yes, like, that's my point. It's a, for yeah. me, well, it's a percentage. I agree with the percentage within that category. And Correct. It's less of a percentage, but more of a different types of what you probably shouldn't be supporting yes um, so if someone I, said yeah, i agree with you there. if someone said for example you know I, i'm against the war on drugs but i think we should keep heroin illegal i think all drugs should be legal but if some guy's mm -hmm. gonna say i want to keep heroin but all the rest can be legal i'm not gonna disqualify him does that mean i would support that candidate over others no it doesn't mean that i might might not depends okay. on the other candidates but do I disqualify them because they think heroin should be illegal? No, that doesn't disqualify them in my eyes. So the way I look at it is it's not a purity test. It's a percentage test. If he's like, well, all I could see is medical marijuana, disqual disqualified. That's disqualified <laughs> yeah. because that means you still want to war on drugs. In my right, eyes, right. you're disqualified, right? But if you go, let's get rid of them all except for heroin, you know what? We'll deal with that. But not just that. If I bring them in... And we talk to him. Here's what I guarantee you. Within two years, he'll want heroin also to be legal because he'll be around us. He'll hear us. He'll see what we talk about. He'll understand we have the moral high ground. I will get him the rest of the way. I've told people this often. I'm a recruiter. That's what I do, right? Matt was just saying, I don't wake up every morning trying to get new libertarians. I literally do. Like, that's what I'm thinking about when I wake up in the morning. That's what I'm thinking about. I just spent four days on the road trying to get into libertarians. And by the way, I did three press conferences with people who changed their party to libertarian, right? People who are running for office, already in office, who changed their party in New York State. That's happening every single week in New York State. So, and some of them are not perfect libertarians. So to answer your question, it's not a purity test. It's a percentage test. If I can put my uh, journalism hat on for a moment, one of the things that I 
uh, can't help but noticing during the most emotional of the arguments that libertarians, believe it or not, like to have amongst themselves, whether they're capitalizing or not their L, um, is that there is a common, I believe, misperception about Johnson Weld being some kind of pro-war mm-hmm. um, ticket out there. Uh, uh, I covered them as much as any journalist in the country, um, have interviewed both of them, spent a lot of time with both of them, both uh, um, before, uh, during, and after the, uh, the election. At the beginning of the election, the opening bid was no regime change wars. We need to get home the hell home from Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, and so on. Um, and uh, uh, the what Bill Weld would say then mostly is, and because he did have a, a bit of a hawkish and certainly a sort of a multilateral uh, pass, as a lot of hardcore libertarian party activists would point out. My God, he was in the Council for Foreign Relations. Are you <laughs> yes, kidding me? That was like yes, the one. Right. He supports the United Nations. Um, but uh, when things would get tricky, he would say, I deferred to Gary on, on on these issues, and I'm learning. I interviewed him a whole bunch of times in 2017, mm-hmm. and also on election night on uh, uh, 2016, uh, when he might have had a drink or two. Maybe I did as well. <laughs> uh, and I was surprised to hear, because, uh, I mean, he had a pretty contentious, particularly the last week, 10 days, of the campaign pissed off a lot of libertarians by going on Rachel Maddow and some other uh, behaviors then, I presumed he was gone. I presumed mm-hmm. he was already in the Republican Party by that time. And he's like, no, the Libertarian Party is where it's at yep. now. And, uh, and in fact, up until the moment that he switched back, um, <laughs> he was like the leading contender, or the one, not the leading necessarily, but the one doing the most uh, kind of spade work on yes. the presidential campaign. He supported my campaign in, in New York. Uh, he said he to did. me, he's like, you know, what, what does the Libertarian Party need to do? He said, we need more Larry Sharp. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, but I would always ask, ask him how did running as a libertarian change you Mm -hmm. uh change your sense of policies and his number one answer in every fora forum whatever that i uh uh, asked him is uh especially on foreign policy and on regime change wars and getting the troops the hell home um i uh, somewhere on the on the interwebs or at least maybe on the uh on a a twitter exchange i have a a thread of like uh 12 or 13 different quotes that he's given me Mm -hmm. about uh war uh, over the last three or four years, and it doesn't fit with the caricature of the war-loving Bill Weld right. that you hear sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I agree with that. And the point is, the more people we bring in, we do turn them, right? Or they leave, right? One of two things happen. They become or more libertarian. Case, both. Or, yes. <laughs> or, or in this case, both, yes. Or they leave. So, so Christian, I, the reason why I don't have a 100% purity test is I honestly believe, because I've seen it myself, because it was me too, I was one of them, right? I was that same guy. Mm-hmm. So as I started to learn more and hear more, I be- I became more libertarian. I think many people do. I don't want someone to come to the party only one th- once they're perfectly libertarian. I want them to come to the party once they cross, as a general rule, I go my 80-20 rule, right? Once you're 80% libertarian, that's when I want you. I'll get the rest. I will get the rest out of you. No worries. But not just that. I was joking to today before we came on with Dave Smith. I said, there are a lot of people who've come to me and then gone to him because he's much more hardcore than I am. Right? I'm much more of a nicer, yeah, friendlier. Yes. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Yes. I'm much more of a nicer, friendlier, open, you know, come on in, open tent, libertarian. I know that. I'm the recruiter. Right. I bring them in. Libertarian, and, pragmatist versus ANCAP, basically. Yes. And then people find Dave Smith because of me and they go all the way down. And yes, that's amazing. Down. 
Yes, Felt all that the being way. A little bit judgmental there. Well, because I <laughs> down. I am cooler <laughs> than Larry. <laughs> I I am cooler. I'm sorry, just the way it is. But um, yes. But <laughs> Christian, thank you so much. I hope that answered your question. Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Have awesome. A Have a good night, guys. If you want to be on the program, please do me a favor. Pick up that phone and call in five seven three four two seven five four six three i'll have you on we'll ask answer uh, your questions and hopefully tell you some funny jokes maybe not so funny but we'll tell you some jokes anyway um we're talking about governor weld someone's calling it about governor weld so i want to bring that caller off if i can Ooh. we're going to bring on uh tom from albuquerque tom how you doing how you doing guys i'm doing great oh you didn't start swearing nice we are winning already <laughs> Didn't knock a loogie How either. How you doing? Man? I'm doing good. What's going on? Hey, first thing, because you said earlier in the show that you know you should always compliment people. Uh, Larry, I want I want all the listeners to know. I have gone back and watched the complete videotape of the 2016 vice presidential debate in Orlando with you and uh, Alicia and Bill Wells. Oh and, yes. Uh, when I was watching it, I was impressed. When I watched it a second and a third time, that is one of the best demonstrations of libertarian principles in a debate that I have ever seen. Wow. Anyway. Wait, from Bill Weld? And, and of course, you, huh? <laughs> from well, Bill, no, from Bill uh, Weld? I'll draw, draw the line there. <laughs> I mean, he was kind of, you know, I, I was asked by certain people in the campaign how I thought Bill did after that, and I told him he sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, everybody else, I thought, did a just a just a slam bang job on it. Well, and of course, Matt, what can I say about you and Nick? I mean, you guys are carrying the torch out there in the media, and you know, I'm always I always love and impress what you by what you say. And, anyway, my question. Yeah. Speaking speaking of the Boston Brahmin, I don't. I and I kind of came Boston in on your broadcast Brahmin. here a little nice. bit late. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh came on a little late maybe you guys talked about it but what what are you guys thoughts on uh bill calling for the <laughs> summary execution of <laughs> it wasn't Trump summary there'll be due process then they'll execute him <laughs> come on <laughs> i'm saying it's not summary it's i wrote you know. a, i wrote a, a bit about it mostly sort of newsish bit about it uh today but my conclusion of it, because uh, it was not just him, it was uh, all three of the uh, the Three Stooges, as Trump has calling his uh, competitors, Mark Sanford, Bill Weld, and uh, and Joe Walsh, uh, who I'm interviewing tomorrow, uh, all three of whom I kind of like. Joe uh, Walsh, I never had time for until he started running for president, and now I've met him a little bit, and I uh, still don't trust him as far as I can kick him, um, and I'll tell him that in person, but... Uh, uh, but like I like all three guys, and they're and if you look, whenever they talk about policy, for the most part, uh, which Joe Walsh is very much trying not to talk about, mm -hmm. but they're stressing stuff that I agree with: debt and deficits and yeah. tariffs and you know the usual uh, smorgasbord of stuff. Uh, and uh, so I like them fine. I don't mean to disparage at all um, uh, there, but uh, yeah, no, calling. I I don't think that the proper response to Trumpism. Um, to the kind of set of politics that he represents, the style of how he comports himself, um, the looseness of his lips. Uh, I don't think that the best and most effective or just morally 
grounded response is to call for the execution of your political opponents. <laughs> 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 I, just, I don't. I mean, again, call me a squish. I might be a squish on this maybe and you're many other a bit. And many other things. And and uh, and and maybe I haven't fully internalized the true lesson of the 2016 election, which is that my preferences and. You know, $35 can buy me a pair of $35 shoes, maybe. <laughs> right. uh, uh, so, like, uh, you know, my the, the things that people respond to in, pol- in politics Yikes. as consumers is much different than what pointy-headed, you know, opinion journalists based in the Acela Corridor uh, like to see about their mores of, of polite discussion. Look, Tom, I got to tell you the truth here. Um, it's a brilliant move on his part. It just is. Um, he was yeah. going nowhere. He was doing nothing. Now he now he's calling for execution, and now Matt's writing on him. So kudos to Weld. Uh, well played is all I can say, right? He is a – love him or hate him, he is still a savvy politician, right? And he saw he was going nowhere, and he did this, and now you're talking about him. You're calling into my show, and Matt's interviewing him. Yes, this was exactly the right move for him because in reality – I think he realizes, and maybe I'm wrong here. I'm not speaking for him and giving my opinion. I think he realizes the odds of him winning in a primary against Trump are very slim. Give or take 75 to 80% of registered Republicans still support Trump. Most Republicans still support Trump. Not all, but most do. Surely not enough for him to come in with a victory. However, if he can win, say, say he goes to North, uh, not North Carolina, um, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, with this open primary, yeah. right? He's right. got an open primary. Here's what I know from Democrats: Democrats love any talk of physically harming Trump. Boy, do they love it! Is like red meat. He's like, give me more, get Trump. They love whatever time Biden says he's gonna beat up Trump. I mean, his polls go up. They just love it. Like there's no tomorrow. So I think well does this. Democrats get behind him. Now, all of a sudden, he's in New Hampshire, open primary. His hope is that he can get around the other two stooges, is his hope, by being this way, dismiss them, and he can have a really an amazing, good showing in New Hampshire, um, really good showing, maybe even win, but he's hoping, obviously, but just a good showing enough to where he can either hurt Trump bad enough to where he has a chance of maybe Trump not winning. People can, you know, if Trump actually loses at something, that will break his his aura of, you know, Teflon. So his hope is to break that aura of Teflon. Or he can always, once he does well in New Hampshire, come back to the Libertarian Party and try to run as Libertarian and say, look how well I did against Trump. Yeah. Guys, you can give me uh, Good luck the nomination that again. Uh, I think he can do either of those two. Uh, I dispute the notion that Bill Weld is a savvy politician. Um simply that he's oh for his last 25 years <laughs> running for competitive elections he's, well, okay. he's on a bit of a losing streak okay so. uh, there no the deck is stacked uh, so incredibly against him both in terms of public support so donald yes. trump's last gallup uh, poll favorability among republicans is 91 percent. wow i knew it was is, over 80 but 90 an, wow is, uh, uh ties the highest mark of his presidency there's been now uh, half a dozen polls that include the three stooges and uh, donald trump their combined total compared to his he's up 70 percentage points against the field wow combined amazing uh bill weld raised in the second quarter of this year six hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars. wow after coming in and saying, yeah, you know, there's going to be millions and I know rich people and the whole thing. And uh, so it it does not look very good. And he started off uh, and I was up in New Hampshire when he was kicking off his campaign. I spent some time with him. Um, he started off very much uh, uh, stressing 
uh, Trump's unfitness for office. The mm-hmm. Mueller report was coming out. He pointed out that I was the one that hired Robert Mueller uh-huh. uh, in gotcha, the Justice yeah. Department. Uh, fun fact, who is the only politician Robert Mueller has ever been on record giving a donation to? Who? Bill Wilt. No, so is that right? absolutely true. Look at that. True. Uh, so, like, he started from a position that Trump is unfit. He's crazy. Uh, he's this and that and the other. So, there's like, there's a, there's only one way, one direction to go, and that's <laughs> yes, kind of up. So, exactly. at some point, uh, he's gonna. I, I think he runs the risk of uh, coming off as as hysterical more right. than anything else. Right. Well, no, no. I, I, it's that, or what does he do? Right. If he doesn't call for his execution, what is, what does he do? I mean, just sits there and just sits there. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know. There's a point, and this is an old military thing. Again, I'm going back to military stuff. When you're winning, you don't gamble. When you're losing, you gamble. He's losing. Roll the dice. What's the worst he can do? Still lose? Right? I mean, you're losing by 70 points. What's the worst that can happen? You're going to lose by 71 points? Doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think I think his family's going to be in good standing no matter what uh, he does. Yeah, in, uh, he, he's not going to be starving. I think I no. think he will not have to sell pencils on the street. Uh, and uh, Tom Albuquerque, uh, does your last name start with an M by any chance? Uh, you're spot on there, okay. Professor Welch. <laughs> Just checking. Uh, hey, Larry, Larry, I love this concept of your show here. This is this is a great idea. You're going to do it regularly, I suspect. Every, did you miss? I had Lincoln Chafee on last week. I had Mike Tolkien oh, on before that. Speaking, of I had that, Howie uh, Hawkins on two weeks before that. Come on, man. I Where, was in Ireland. I was in Ireland the last two weeks. You better get on my YouTube page and check my stuff out. The Sharpway YouTube page. I was, I was, I was in Ireland. Sorry, I miss. I won't miss them from here on out. That's what I want to no, hear. Hey, thank you, my suge- friend. One, one suggestion, please. Uh, when someone calls in, mm-hmm. all I hear, all I hear is music. I want to hear the show. I mean, these, you guys are two of my favorite people. I couldn't hear the show, and I was listening to some that Spanish is- music. Thank you nice. so much. Good feedback. Right uh, that's great feedback. Thank you. No one else has told me that before. We're going to have to fix that. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Tom, come visit us in New York, bro. Yes. All righty. So thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Well, yes. Look, if you want to be on the program, of course, 573-427-5463. And as Tom was saying, you want to support me? There's another way of supporting me. Not only can you go to patreon.com slash sharp way and donate so that you can get some cool swag like uh, shirts and and uh, mugs but I can, if you donate enough I'll actually come to you yes I can come hang out with you we'll sit in a diner we'll drink some coffee I'll tell you some cool stories about when I was in Marine Corps and I probably will make you laugh maybe not but I'll probably make you laugh on top of it this is not bad at all if you want to buy swag no worries go to sharpway.com click on the swag button you can just pick this up this is a cool shirt I got recognized twice today in this shirt once at a, uh, a rest stop no not rest stop a, uh, a gas station um, in upstate New York and once in uh, at the Roscoe Diner I got re- I got recognized by a bunch of people so they love this shirt they know it's me come and by the way if you do recognize me out there please I had this happen all the time they go Larry I didn't want to say anything please say something if you recognize me stop me I'll shake your hand we'll do some selfies life is good happens all the time please do it i'm not bothered at all by it i hope i'm so famous one day that i will be bothered by it but currently i'm not bothered by it take advantage of it and come say hi um and of course check out my youtube page the sharp way the facebook page the sharp way twitter sharp way instagram sharp way these are all important things if you support it people see it more people will come on so i want to go back to can we keep doing calls are we okay yeah yeah lots calls it is i want yeah. us to be doing one more call if we can uh, another gentleman who wants to talk about libertarians 
running in the GOP. This is an interesting one. This is uh, Jules uh, from Manhattan. Jules, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm well. I've, so, got the, I've got the show on in one ear here, so I, I nice. just lower the volume. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. What's going on? Um, I'm building a YouTube channel. Okay. I've been working on it for about a year. Okay. I was in L.A. I moved back to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm double dipping a little bit, working a little in real estate, but I'm very passionate about politics. I like that. And, you know, libertarians, they, they can't win elections. And so I see Trump sort of restructured mm-hmm. the Republican Party yeah. in his own image, right? And you've got Bernie Sanders kind of restructured the Democratic Party Ish. in his image. So it doesn't seem like you don't have to be a Republican to run as a Republican. So why don't libertarians just assume the Republican label, mm-hmm. just just I, like be very vocal about what their opinions are. I love and that. And just win elections. Let me talk about both of those things. The first thing you said is libertarians can't win elections. That's absolutely demonstrably not true. Um, libertarians do win elections, just not many of them. And they're almost always local, right? They don't win major elections. That's true. We haven't had right, a libertarian right. governor, libertarian president, senator, nothing federal. But we absolutely have one city council. We absolutely have one school boards. We absolutely have – here in New York City, we have uh, Deborah Altman who actually won a, a city council spot. So we, we do have – education city council. So we do actually have people okay. who are elected. It does happen. Um, but it's only been local. And I'm okay with that, right? One of the reasons why I ran for governor, there were many of them, but one of them was to get ballot access for New Yorkers and to be that lightning rod for people. And I, I just did four days in upstate New York. I was as far west as Jamestown. If you happen to know where that is, that's closer to Cleveland than it is Albany. That's how far west I was. I did a press conference for a, a gubernatorial candidate who was Republican who became Libertarian, right? His name is Andrew, if I pronounce it right, Luizzo. And he's now running as Libertarian. People showed up. We had signs. We did a go live. This was something that Libertarians have never done. This didn't happen before. Then an hour later, I'm in Olean, which is in uh, 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 Cattaraugus County, which is one county over, right? Close, closer to Pittsburgh than it is Albany, right? So I'm there, and I'm there with literally six candidates. In Cattaraugus County, Libertarian Party is, is putting up 14 candidates. I'm not joking. 14 there are, there are less than 100,000 people in Cattaraugus County. I think about 70,000 people in Cattaraugus County. How do I know that? I have no idea. I just I, I crossed New York State. So there's like, there's like 70,000 people in that county. So with that in mind, you know, 14 people running, three across endorsed Democrats, three across endorsed Republicans, and eight are libertarian only. So we are running, and some of them are going to win. Then I was also in uh, Canandaigua, and in Canandaigua, that's by the Finger Lakes, I'm there, and I got a guy who's a sitting council member. He changed his uh, his uh, a party from Republican to Libertarian. Uh, that happened in Broome County, too. This is happening all across the state. We have over 250 people running in New York State this year in an off year. Now, again, they're all local races. I'm not telling you we're going to win the governorship. I hope we do. I'm not saying that, but we are absolutely going to have people winning. Before this, we had less than 20 people running across the state. Wow. Now we have over 250. This is a movement, brother. It is happening. So that's the first part of your statement. The second part of your statement was, why don't we assume the Republican moniker? Because we're not Republicans. And when people do that, right, you but, know what happens? Let me the, oh, oh, God, let me finish. Change, let right? me finish. Let me finish. I'm going to cover it. Look at what happened to people who did it. Literally, Justin Amash started the Republican Liberty Caucus. He left it. 
because he was able to do nothing. He was able to get nothing done. He was shunned. He was attacked. He was pushed. All this stuff. If he didn't have the strength of conscience that he had, he would just sit there and be ineffective. Sadly, there are more Republicans just sitting there being ineffective. That's all they do. They sit there ineffective. And before with you, I was approached by the Republican Party in December of 2017 to be their, to be their lieutenant governor candidate. You know what I told them? I can lose on my own. And I've proven that to be true. So, so yes, I can lose on my own. I don't need you to lose. I can do that all by myself. And then when I lose the Republican, what do I become? I become an also-ran. Oh, who was that guy? Oh, what? Now, I'm popular in the libertarian world in New York State. As I just said, I literally get recognized in the street. I had a cop, I'm not joking, pull me over. Upstate, and uh, I don't want to tell you what state, but it was upstate, right north of the city, pulled me over because he wanted a selfie because he saw me on, on Joe Rogan. That wouldn't have happened if I was some nobody Republican. Half it's of the a good sign. And yes. They seem very optimistic. I do think Absolutely. that there is a movement and it's changing. But the libertarians need to make sure that you know they don't get overwhelmed by socialism, communism. It's really cool. No, it's know, it's, it's a it's a valid point. Everywhere. Yes. And so the, how so they need so they need to compete in the market. I'm a, right? I'm they, agreeing they with you completely. Theory. And if you've watched what I've talked about. I am the only mainstream candidate. People call me a pragmatist or whatever you want to call me, but I'm definitely a mainstream candidate. I'm the only mainstream candidate that says I don't want to purge the radicals or anarchists in that party. I don't want that. That's a bad idea because you're right. If we purge them, we will become either Democrat light or Republican light, depending on how many people come across, right? We'll become that. We need them as the core of our party. We need them as the North Star of our party. I said that three years ago, and I meant it three years ago, and I still believe it now. I want to be the recruiter, but I want us to make sure that at our core, we're still about the core of the movement and core of the party. That's not easy to do. But there's a second piece, my friend, and you bring up great points. I just want to make sure we're clear on this. This is another piece here, Jules, and that is we have a very bad well, we've had and still in many places have a very bad culture in our movement. We don't have a culture of assistance. We don't have a culture of help. We don't have that. I am trying to do what the libertarian will do, which is I model the behavior that I want others to, to do, and I hope they actually do it. I lost, and I'm still out here helping others, raising money for others, doing press conferences. I use my YouTube page. I use my social media presence to pump up others. I literally ran a fundraiser for Dwayne Whitmer, who's running Western New York for, for, for Congress. I went out there to, was it Erie County? No, to Wyoming County. Wyoming County, which is by Buffalo. I went out there to, to help raise money for him. Every time I do an event, people show up. I let him speak. Right, I was up there in Tioga County, and I had Keith Price speak in front of me, and I pumped him up and edified him. I'm doing that because I want them to follow behind me and do the same thing. If we start doing that, we'll help others. I had a judge in um, Sullivan County who's running as libertarian, and I told her, judges, um, they're, they're not able, they shouldn't at least, they're not able to call and ask for money directly. I said, I'll do it for you. That's legal. Let me do it. I'll be your fundraiser. Now, that I'm not going to get anything for that. But I build out the party that way and I show them how it's done and I train them how to make it done, get it done right and the rest will follow and we'll build the right culture. We are the vanguard of this movement, my friend. I know where you're thinking, but I'm telling you, it looks bleak because we're the vanguard. But if you look across that, that, that field, I have broken a hole in the front line. If you flood through, we will overwhelm our enemies. We've got to flood through.
If I can just add a, a bit of a more recent Republican history along the lines of what you were talking about, um, the subject of uh, Tim Alberta's book, American Carnage, is basically um, how a weakened vessel husk of the Republican Party had been uh, run by an out-of-touch establishment, kind of making the same exhausted Ronald Reagan platitudes for generations, um, found itself, like a lot of political parties, major parties, find themselves um, kind of ripe for a hostile takeover mm -hmm. beginning in 2009 and 10. It was the Tea Party, and about mm -hmm. half of the new Tea Party uh, infusion that came into um, the Republican Party were some pretty interesting folks. It was Rand Paul, it was mm -hmm. Mike Lee, it was Thomas Massey, it was Justin Amash. And I go to those four guys first because they're basically the last ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, there used to be a whole lot more a part of that. I mean, the House Freedom Caucus had more than 30 members. Mick Mulvaney, 2015 in April as a congressman and a member of the House Freedom Caucus, writes a uh, Wall Street Journal op-ed talking about how it's immoral to add one penny to the deficit, and that if Republicans, who had then had just retaken the Senate, remember, uh, they had only had the House for a while under Obama, but now they finally had the Senate. And he said, well, uh, now that we have uh, both houses of Congress, it is more important than ever to hold the line on spending, or else if we don't, then people aren't going to believe us next. They're going to believe that this was all opportunism. Mm -hmm. uh, and this guy said, 30 months later, Mick Mulvaney uttered the phrase on national TV to sell Donald Trump's tax deal, we need new deficits. <laughs> he had said deficits are immoral, and now we need new deficits. And you see this across the zone. The co-founders of the House Freedom Caucus, which was founded in 2015, go look at their founding documents. Jim Jordan and Justin Amash and Mark Meadows signed. It's all about restraining executive power, mm -hmm. especially making sure that investigations into the behavior of the executive mm -hmm. branch have integrity and that the executive branch can't be trusted to investigate uh, themselves. How, what have Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows been doing the last two, three years? Mm -hmm. is, that the, is that the notes that they've been hitting? Yeah, yeah, I don't no. think that's what no. we've been seeing. So no. uh, we did see a lot of people who were certainly libertarian friendly, libertarian-ish, come into Congress and they did some really good things. Uh, you know, Justin Amash came within five votes of defunding the NSA uh, <laughs> yes. in 2013-14. Uh, uh, you know, they helped, uh, in, in my estimation, greatly to dissuade Barack Obama from bombing Syria, which for me was good. Fathers have different opinion about that. Uh, but they definitely had an effect. They had an effect on uh, on on holding the line on deficits uh, for a while or holding the growth of government. Uh, There's a year over year almost freeze and defense military spending went down year over year in some uh, cases with the sequestration. So they definitely had an effect. And some of those people have become some of the more interesting people on criminal justice issues, which have gone in a good way mm -hmm. under Trump, um, uh, thanks in part to the spade work that they've done. However, and Kim Kardashian uh, and Kim Kardashian, who did great work and yes. should not be sneezed at <laughs> Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. Um, it's true. It's uh, true. And, and the thing is that grand experiment, and I know a lot of the people who are the architects behind the scenes thinking exactly as you are uh, now thinking about that in 2009 saying, Hey, look, we can make, uh, we can have all these insurgent candidates um, who are running against the establishment quite literally, and we can change the behavior uh, through uh, incentives and primarying people. We can change the behavior and, uh, and the character of the Republican Party. It worked for a while, and then it stopped working, mm -hmm. and then Trump did it himself in his own way, which has very, very little overlap with libertarianism on occasion, on regulatory issues, except vaping uh, and, and <laughs> some other ones. Uh, uh, well, Trump is... Uh... Trump, I feel like the thing is Trump struggles with the truth 
but he's also constantly fighting reality. And I feel like he's not someone that just spells out what he says in a traditional way so that there is an unpredictable myth that goes along with it. But he's, I think he's a piecemeal engineer. This is what Karl Popper, you know, libertarian legend would say that if you're like, I think a lot of things that libertarians get wrong, which is what the communists get wrong is I think a lot of libertarians are utopian engineers. Like they have the ideal image and they're like, if we could just go straight for our, our ideal, right. Things will get better, but they miss out on the step-by-step like process. So they, they're like, Opposing utopian engineers, as let, opposed let me cover to two pieces pragmatic piecemeal engineers. Uh, I think that the people you're talking about aren't running for office, right? The libertarians you're talking about are the ones who show up at the local events and scream at me. <laughs> That's those guys. But the people who are running for office, I think the reverse is true. Most of those who are running for office understand the the complication that you're not going to create a libertarian utopia tomorrow, no matter what you do. This country isn't ready for it. It just isn't. It's just not there. I live in New York City. We're nowhere near ready for this at all. But it's <laughs> not happening. So, yeah. So, but but can we move towards it? Of course we can. Can we change? Of course we can. But I want to cover two things of what you said. The first one I want to go on. It sounds like I'm just beating up Republicans. It isn't that. Democrats too, right? The thing about Democrats that we don't realize is, and this is particularly in New York, but throughout the entire country, if we don't turn Democrats, we can never win, period. In New York State, we have to get better at talking to the left. The reason why I won't win as Republicans is you can't win as that either. You've got to win as a libertarian, right? Democrats aren't going to vote for Republican anymore. Republicans aren't going to vote for Democrat anymore. But both will vote for Libertarians. I know that because it happened in New York State. I watched it. It happens all the time. How do I also know that? As I said, in Cattaraugus County, I got three people who are Democrats, three who are Republicans, eight Libertarians. They, they will vote gold. I've proven that. That's a fact that will happen. So we've got to talk best to them. Now, you're right. A lot of Democrats have moved towards the Bernie AOC style. AOC is literally my congressperson. Yes, I accept your condolences. Yes. But the point being is what they're actually looking at, most of these people, they actually don't want socialism. What they want is what is perceived fairness. That's what they actually want. If we can show them that you will actually get that with libertarianism and not with socialism, you will turn them. How do I know that? Because we have YAL and SFL. These are organizations in colleges that actually get youngsters to become libertarian. And I talked to Wolf One Layer, who is the guy who runs uh, SFL, and I asked him, and he said exactly that. He said, yes, Larry, they want fairness. If you show them that you can get fairness through freedom, if you show them that, they turn. And I've noticed in the libertarian movement, we tend to get people from the right faster, but they also go back faster, and more of them go back. We get them from the left slower, but when we get them from the left, they stay, and they are some of our best advocates. I want to talk to the left as much as I want to talk to the right, and we can. They're both broken. We can bring them to us. Now, when you talked about Trump, let me tell you who Trump actually is. He's a New York City developer. That's who he is. He has the personality, sadly, don't get mad at me, developers, of all of you. You're all the same. You're hardcore. You fight. You never say anything. Brand means everything to you. You fight, fight, fight because... 
you, I'll sue you, and you always want an attrition, and you never stop fighting, you never say you're wrong because you get sued, so you always say you're right, no matter what, and if you just keep fighting, the other guy gives up, and you get your building built. That's what you do. That's who Ooh, Trump actually that's is. A, that's the New York image? That is, ugh. That's a New York State developer. That's the whole image, a, is it? No, for New York developers, developer. that's, that's the reality. That's and, a New York State developer. And, and also, you are constantly getting your hands grubby with government. Constantly. That is correct. What do you, yes. I mean, Donald Trump, among his many uh, uh, ways that he uh, deviates from traditional conservative values, remember in 2015, there was a whole like cycle of a kerfuffle about his attitude towards the disastrous uh, Supreme Court decision, Kilo versus the city of New London. He's like, it's great. That was a great decision. That was the eminent domain decision where the city of New London took yes. Suzette Kilo's house uh, because they wanted to flip it to a developer that never developed anything. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's a, it, there's a great uh, movie out called Little Pink House. I literally painted out. a pink door in Utica because of that. We had a pink door campaign in Utica because of, an, because of the eminent domain issue. And by the way, if you look at that video, I actually painted the door. It's a video of me on Facebook and, and also it's on uh, YouTube. How are your painting chops? Um, terrible. Yeah. It took me like 12 minutes to paint one door. And I, <laughs> the video was literally of me 12 minutes painting a door because people thought <laughs> I would paint a little bit of it and have someone else paint it. Nope, I painted it. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Trump uh, defended uh, that Supreme Court decision over and over again and started talking about, you know, it's terrible. These these people have their little house and they, you know, you got to do a big deal in Atlantic City and he's used eminent domain in a super nasty way and thankfully the courts stopped him on occasion. But that's who he is. That's the values that you get. I wrote, remember when Ted Cruz uh, had his line about uh, uh, how we don't need more New York values and uh, people <laughs> took that as being like homophobic or something. I wrote a column defending Ted Cruz. is the only one I ever, ever did. Uh, not necessarily the intent of what he said because mm -hmm. back then, if you remember, the people running for uh, had the biggest chance of winning were uh, Donald Trump, uh, former New York uh, Senator Hillary Clinton, Brooklyn-born socialist Bernie Sanders, uh, who talks like every old guy in Brooklyn, uh, and then even Michael Bloomberg was still thinking about like, should he mm -hmm. run, should he not? So that. like, enough of the New York values because it's 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 not necessarily like you you know your hoity-toity culture stuff. It's actually kind of the opposite. Is that uh, all the way that we live here is is. I don't want to say unnatural, but it's different than the rest of the country. No, it's unnatural. You're on top of each other. <laughs> yes. uh, it's you, you are definitely going to be elbowing each other in the neck on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a way of talking that's really kind of rough, but also funny. That's um, true. Uh, depending on how long uh, long you've been here, you'd be super competitive. There's there's pluses and minuses, but like the, the values that you get from engaging in the culture of New York City are not values that you would like to see transposed to the rest of the country at all and vice versa. Um, you know, the values of Montana should not be imposed on New York City. That's just not going to work. But to have the entire field be a bunch of New Yorkers, bad idea. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You, you look at, uh, I mentioned the Cattaraugus County has about 70,000 people. In one square mile of Manhattan, we have about 60,000, right? And for, for those of you who, who are listening or watching who don't live in New York, I want you to realize something. In New York City, this is not New York State, New York City, there are UPS truck drivers who their entire route is one building. Just think about that. The entire route is one building. He parks his truck and goes up and down elevators and stairs all day, then goes back to get more packages, comes back, goes up and down stairs and elevators. That's all he does. That's literally his entire route. That's unheard of outside of, of New York City. One more thing about New York City. New York City is the largest city in America by more than double. Right? By more than double. I think 
LAOS, three and a half million, give or take. LA's around four, New York's around eight. Yeah, and New York's around eight and a half now, but they're coming down. So by more than double, right? So it's a huge city. In our metro area, 16 million people. That's insane. It's a different way of doing things. And Trump is born and raised and fought and grew here. That's who he actually is. That's so that I wanted to bring I it never up forgave, also. I never forgave Trump for he he chose Joan Rivers on the Celebrity Apprentice over Andy Duke. <laughs> I saw that episode. Money. Yes. You saw that episode? I did. Yes. It was ridiculous. She had raised more money than all the other contestants combined. And Joan Rivers Apprentice. was such a biatch during that show, and she still got it. Yes, I remember uh, that show. It was yes. just her star power, right? It was. It was uh, her star power. That was yes. it. I never forgave him for that. Yes. Which, fair enough, Joan Rivers is pretty awesome. I'm just saying. Just, just <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so yes. Well, it's sad that I remember that show. I, I, I used yeah, to watch the- sad that you both do. I, I watched the uh, the original. I watched the first couple seasons of The Apprentice, and I do remember that. Yes. So I, I do remember that one when you rebooted it. So, sad. Anyway. Anyway, thank you, Classic. my friend. I appreciate thank that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Good so, night. So if you want to join the program, no worries whatsoever. Simply give us a buzz, 573-427-5463. And if you want to support the program, if you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying it, being able to t- reach out and touch us, it's awesome. Head on over to support us at Patreon dot com slash sharp way you can donate nine dollars forty eight dollars ninety some odd dollars you donate enough i will show up and come to your event yes i will donate a whole lot i might even bring you up on the show see how good i am that's all you have to do support us all go ahead over to sharpway.com hit swag pick up some cool shirts and such and of course always support the youtube page the twitter the facebook the instagram all right so he's talking about you know the idea of being Republican, right? This is an issue that I deal with often. So many people think that anyone in the liberty movement is Republican. It's a common thing, but it really, it really isn't true. I mean, there's if you look at the actual libertarians in the actual party, you will find a lot of them that have a lot of left or traditional, I should say, left views. The 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 common piece is they don't want to use government force to make it happen. There's literally a libertarian socialist caucus. Granted, it's like two people, but yes. Well, no, it's actually more because the, the best part is Howie Hawkins was on. Yeah. Right? And when he was on, I was asking about that. And he's like, well, I'm kind of libertarian socialist. What I found out from Howie, which made which I was surprised, is I don't think Howie's actually a socialist. What I think Howie actually wants is hyper-localism with direct democracy. And that's what he actually wants. He wants hyper-localism with everyone direct democracy. We're going to put up a stop sign. We all vote, right? That's what he wants, right? The town is all that matters and everyone gets one vote. We're putting a stop sign up or not. We're going to uh, give uh, Bob the ability to, to put up his, his fence. We all vote. I think that's what he actually wants, which is a little bit different. But I asked him about guns. I said, you know, during the campaign, because obviously he was running with me against Cuomo uh, for the governorship last year. I asked him about guns. I said, when it came to guns, you didn't really say much. Right, I know you're not really anti-Second Amendment. He goes, nah, but it wasn't a big deal. I didn't bring it up. He goes, you know, I'm for guns. He's like, uh, any socialist knows populace has got to be armed. Yes. I was like, hardcore Howie. Wow. Get some. Yes. Uh, so, you know, that reminds me that, you know, Bernie Sanders in his career in, this, in the 70s in Vermont was pretty pro-gun. 
Um, Hillary Clinton tried to bash him about the ears and neck on this in 2015 and 2016. And he has since, you know, I'm proud that I get a left rating from the NRA. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yes. but his, there is in the old left, the old new left of the seventies. That was kind of part of it. It was a very, a lot of localism. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of appreciation for kind of agrarian communal life. Bernie Sanders thing lasted about a day and a half on a commune before they're like, stop <laughs> talking about the minimum wage. Uh, but like, there's an appreciation for that. People need to earn themselves, you know, for revolution. If it's yes. in the seventies or just like don't tell us what to do. We're going to have our own idiosyncratic way of life. That's been flattened out, I think, uh, in the way that um, we're in the process of this this great kind of political slash geographical sorting that's mm-hmm. going on here. So in order to have the identity of progressive or kind of just left of center person, you need to have all of these uh more or less these kind of basic attitudes and if you don't then you have to explain yourself uh awkwardly and, and, and you know philosophically those attitudes don't necessarily have to have anything to do with one another yeah uh, but no, that's no. just kind of like yeah. it's the set of traditions that have arisen and clustered around the democratic party among progressives and, and republicans and conservatives have uh their own versions of that but trump is a great uh challenge and kind of uh, uh shaken snow globe um, to that and per the previous caller i think in general um yes we're kind of clinging to those uh those sets of ideas and those or like we're or clinging to the identities the tribal identity yes, of X, absolutely true a, as strong as ever at least among the people who are still kind of dead ending in both places but what the ideological uh uh, 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 uh ingredients the there word. we go wow I kept going back to constituents. Uh, the ideological ingredients of that are really kind of up for grabs, and the parties themselves are uh, are really kind of shallow and yes. ripe for takeover. So what, what I see, so though, what does one do uh, with these sort of more marginal set of beliefs, and how do you attach yourself to a world that does consume politics tribally? I think yes. that's a great open question that I certainly don't know the answer to. What I found happening is because of this problem as you say right there there's individuals are coming individual groups are coming to me for example in new york state vapors right the pe- the vaping industry is being crushed in new york state they're they're rushing for the libertarian party because we're the only ones going we got you right we got you father's rights groups who want fa- who want family law boom rushing to us now we're doing joint events now that's coming to us these are disparate groups who are just saying why won't the government leave us alone the republicans won't stop and the democrats won't stop come on in come on in they, they, they're, they're coming to us right um people who've had their license revoked um for multiple um duis and can never get a license ever again even if they're or clean anything. For five or ten years, they can never license ever again. Those guys are coming to us, right? The Amish, believe it or not. Yes, the Amish Libertarian Society, right? They should be left alone. Even they, I was in Western New York and I had a couple people coming on, you know the Amish? They're starting to talk about you, Larry. I'm like, I'm getting the Amish vote? Is it uh, because of uh, Justin Amish? Oh, terrible joke, boo. Thank you. But anyway, so yes, it is. I think that's, that, that, that a lot of them are starting to come to us. But something else happened. This is a story I want to tell. It's about Rochester. And I think when I tell this story, I start getting more people to us also, regardless of whether they were Democrat or were Republican. Upstate New York and Rochester, about two months ago or so, there was a mom. And I told a story on uh, in Go Live form over the weekend. I want to tell it here now, too. There was a mom who brought her, her small three-year-old boy to work. I think it was at Tim Hortons, I think, in Rochester. 
She brought him to work, and he fell in a grease vat or grease trap, and he died. Died. Lost her son. There were basically two sides to this story after that. Side one was, what a horrible mom. Oh, my God. Why would she do this? Why would we put her in jail? There would be charges. She's terrible. That was side one. And for those people, shame on you that you would think that's the right answer. This mom has to go back home and tell her family and friends that she's responsible for the death of her child. She will take that to her grave. She will never forget that. She will be devastated. If she has a relationship with the child's father, it's over. If she's married, she's divorced. But not just that. She will blame herself forever. She wishes she was in that vat. There's no doubt she wishes that she was in that vat and she wishes she was dead. You're going to put her in jail now? Whatever we do to her... You, we, we can't do it worse. She hopes she goes to jail and dies. She doesn't want to even survive. Of course not. How could you imagine anything like that? Luckily, there were no charges. But that was side one. Side two, there ought to be a law, even though there were already laws. This one place actually had a, I think it was a, a plastic cover. We supposed to have a metal. Every other place around still had metal. That was they did. So what did the, what did the government do? Local government said, you know what? Let's send out inspectors now to inspect everything. And they started handing out summonses. They started handing out tickets. And all the restaurants in the area where no child died now paid. So they used a mom's grief and a child's death as an excuse for a money grab. And they did it. And they punished everybody else. Great. Still not done. Now they're going to have a new law. There's going to be a new law. There's going to be a new grate on this thing. Okay. A new grate when the old grates already worked. It was the one guy who was doing the wrong thing. So now there's a new law, and they're going to name the law after the child. Of course. Of course they are. So they're going to use that child's death and that mother's grief as a way to gain votes because they had whatever Bob's law, whatever the kid's name was. I remember the kid's name. Bob's law. That's why we're going to do that now. That's the new thing. And I said, shame on them all because no one asked the most important question. Why the hell did she do that? Why did she bring that child to work? And I'll tell you why. And we all know why. She couldn't get childcare. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Larry, that's not her fault. She just stayed home. No, if you go back 30 years ago, what does she do? I can't get a babysitter. You give it to grandma, you give it to uncle, you give it to cousin, you give it to nephew, niece, grandpa, grandma, whatever, sister. They're not here in New York because we lose 150,000 New Yorkers every single year because our state is so horribly crushing and oppressive, it literally breaks up families. My mom died in South Carolina because she couldn't afford to, to live in New York and retire in New York. So my kids lost their grandma. So she lost hers too. Well, that's okay, Larry. Put them in childcare. Childcare has been regulated out. It's so expensive, right? Take it to a local church. You can't because churches used to have it. They can't anymore because of regulation. Now you can't even get a local church to do it. No one talked about that. That kid is dead because New York is oppressive. When I ran, I had an idea called Child Gardens. This was my, one of my policies. The idea was this. I know you have kids, right? Two. Do you ever take your kids to a park? Yes. Awesome. If you take your kids to the park one, kids to the park one day, I ask you, do me a favor, Matt. Take my daughter with you. You agree? You take them. Do you require a license for that? I do not. That's correct. No license required. You can take my daughter to the park if you and I agree. Why don't we replace you with a nonprofit? So now the agreement is now not with 
Matt Welch, the agreement is with the local VFW, the local church, particularly in poor communities, local black church, which is being destroyed, right? Maybe it's a, a local a Knights of Columbus, right? Insert nonprofit there and make an agreement. Will you take my child in your backyard, the garden, and, and watch him there? I'll be back in 10 hours from work. But that's, that's the agreement, right? Now, now, we can make any agreement we want. If you take my daughter to the park, you might say, Larry, can you give me five bucks for ice cream? Here you go, five bucks, ice cream life is good. The church might say, here's what you got to do, Matt. Be here Sunday. And uh, bingo's uh, on Monday night. You're calling the numbers. Deal. Take my kid. Whatever you want. The backlash I got was, but Larry, there'll be no background checks. Then ask them to have background checks. They can do whatever they want. It's an agreement you want. If you don't like it, don't do it. It's voluntary. But Larry, what about licensed childcare? It still exists. It's not going away. It gives you an option. If you trust your local church, your local VFW, or local Knights of Columbus, drop your kid off if you trust them. Think about how broken we have to be so that this would even need to be proposed. Yes! Exactly! That's, uh, it's, yes! It's, it's very distressing. I live in a wonderful neighborhood in Brooklyn. It's great. People are out on their stoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it you see people in the community the local churches do their two or three little marches dressed up with like the virgin mary on the wearing weird black things and mm-hmm. going it's just like there's people out and about at all times uh, I, I saw some discussion on twitter uh a couple of uh, weeks ago someone was sort of uh talking about similar issues and like how often do you um you know, uh, interact in any way. Like, do you go to a community meeting mm-hmm. or go someplace where you might see someone who's a representative or do, you know, X thing that is actually like pretty super normal. Like, you know, go to church or go to or whatever. And all the responses were like, you know, maybe once a year. Yep. It's like, dude, really? I do that like once a day or like once a week, and I'm and I'm not outgoing. Like I, I'm really I right. don't uh, I, I'm I'm professionally outgoing, but uh, I I mean I'm not uh, uh, a Johnny uh, conviviality uh, out out there in the world. But like I can't imagine living in a place where you're not interacting with your neighbors and, mm-hmm. and local community organizations. That's normal. So uh, should be. Uh, and and it's uh and it says uh, something about um kind of the crowding out of of different. Uh, uh, people of societies of you mentioned all the regulations that have to, to come with healthcare. I think in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. they were talking about how you couldn't like be a babysitter, couldn't do like right. the basic unless you had like an advanced degree. Like, okay, I'm a college expellee. I'm a dropout, right? Uh, so I am not allowed to watch your damn four year old. No, yes. I, I'll watch the hell out of your four year old. Absolutely, we'll be fine. Yes, um, you know, we can, absolutely we can figure that out. But- New York State, you need a license to braid hair that costs twenty thousand dollars to braid hair. Yes, you're totally correct. My point being, if my if I had won the governorship last year and I put that into place within three months, that baby's alive. That baby's alive. Nothing else we do saves that child's life. That does. That actually does. But we will continue to put more more pressure on New York State. Kids will families will still break up and more kids will die. Moms shouldn't have to bring their kids to work. If they want to, they can. Nothing wrong with that. They feel it's appropriate. Go ahead. You're the mom. Make a decision. But you shouldn't have to. We should have a society where a mom does not have to bring their kid to and work. We can, uh, if I can repeat one of the half a dozen best headlines that I wrote or approved during my editorship of Reason from 2008 to 2016, 
dead kids make bad laws. Yes, absolutely Any, true. Almost every single uh, law named after a dead kid. And I know that sounds callous, and I'm sorry um, for specifically the parents of the individual kids. But the laws on the books are done by ambulance-chasing politicians. Yep. And rarely do they look at things in the way that you just did, which kind of sort of work backward. Yes. Uh, what what pathologies led us here? It is uh, it's more of that punitive sense. Like, yes. You know, I'm I'm surprised that one of the options that you mentioned wasn't like we got to punish this corporation. Oh no, they're uh, getting sued. Uh, they're already getting punished. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> yes. There's absolutely. this there's this really yeah. kind of uh, uh, kind of puritanical sense of, of yes. punishment that arises in people and that's not how that's not how you i mean sometimes you gotta punch someone i yeah. get that but like uh that's not how the whole thing gets yeah fixed. the issue is the the goal shouldn't be punishment punishment might be a means to an end the goal should be to end the behavior right that's the goal end the behavior if punishment's required to end the behavior we're good but if the goal is punishment we're in trouble and that's where we are right now we're at a point where the goal is punishment, right? There was a um, there was a South Park episode years ago where they had a character called uh, Captain Hindsight, <laughs> right? And uh, Captain Hindsight would fly in when something bad happens and would go, this should have happened and we should have done this and we should have done that. And we'll go, oh, thank you so much, Captain Hindsight. And in one of the situations, uh, there's a, a burning building, right? And people are literally burning to death in the building in, in, in the South Park cartoon. And he comes in and he flies in the, in the fireman all day. He goes, this should have been built this way. And this should have been, been built that way. And we should have had this. and should have had that. They go, thank you. And they all leave and let everyone burn to death. <laughs> because the goal is just to blame, right? The goal is just to blame and punish. It isn't to solve the problem, right? And that's where we are. And even South Park guys figured that out. Very libertarian, by the way. But yes, but they figured it out. And this is an issue we have to begin to stop. But we're not getting it. We're not, we're not, as you said, going backward, right? You look at the vaping industry, right? And they're doing in New York State, they're crushing the vaping industry, right? They're they're saying we have to stop these, um, these uh, evil e-liquids, right? Because kids die from them. Well, the question I asked people when I went out this weekend was, can you please tell me the name of the store in New York that sold the these horrible um, uh, um, jewel pods, you know, can you please tell me the ones who, who sold them? And they go, uh, 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 yeah, no one. No store sold them that. What killed the kids was black market. That's what killed them. The black market did. The stores were doing the right thing. The stores literally are doing the right thing. They are making sure that kids don't buy it. That's why the kids are going to black market. They're doing the right thing. So what was the answer? Well, we decided we're going to punish all the stores. So our ban of the of the flavored um, e-liquids, what it literally does is it punishes those people who were doing the right thing, and the black market is going to be expended and rewarded for killing children. Yes. Literally, we are rewarding child killers, and we are punishing those stores that went out of their way to not harm kids. Not just that, there are about 700 or so vape shops in New York State. They're going out of business. That's give or take 2,000 jobs. Gone. Not to even include the people, the manufacturing, um, the, the wholesalers, the truck drivers that move that stuff. Gone. I was at a global, I'm sorry, government blockchain association event two weeks ago. I was emceeing one of their tracks um, in D.C. And I'm down there doing the, the MC, and the conversation going back and forth. I'm trying to get, make the conversation go well. And someone comes up with this. 
yeah, you know, we got to realize something. There's a lot of issues and problems. And one of them is, is of course, you know, the, the business attrition in New York State. I got mad at that. You know why? Because they're not New Yorkers. I can say my sister's ugly. You can't. <laughs> right? I can say my brother's stupid. You can't say he's stupid. This is my state. You're not supposed to know that we're bad and say that we're bad. And they did. And I was annoyed at that. I was like, people who aren't even New Yorkers know we have a business attrition. And now we've got this vaping ban too. We threw out cryptocurrency. We're throwing out vaping. We threw out a cannabis. And we've got 150,000 New Yorkers leaving every single year. And nothing's changing. It drives me crazy. And then when this happens, people still think government's not the problem. Government's the problem. People love New York. They just hate the government, but they love the state. The uh, logic of prohibition, it's amazing to me how much people refuse to learn the basic story of prohibition. Absolutely. What's weird is that everybody, with like one exception, can tell you the story of why alcohol prohibition didn't work. <laughs> yes. People like to drink too much, or too many people like to drink, let's say. Uh, when you make it uh, illegal, that means the Richie McRiches, including like the politicians on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. who have the supplier right there, um, they're going to get theirs, no problem. Everyone else is going to be black market. Yep. The uh, black market mafias led by Al Capone yep. uh, are going to use a lot of excess violence. The quality of their stuff is going to be bad. People are going to die from it because there's going to be no quality control. Absolutely. This whole Everyone knows that story. Yes, and absolutely refuses to learn it for anything for else anything except at all. alcohol between 1990, 19, and 1933. Yes. Ken Burns made a fucking documentary about I prohibition. Saw it. It was, I saw it. It was Perfect, amazing. Perfectly fine. It's Ken Burns' documentary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's always going to be at least so good. And, and it was. Mm-hmm. Nick Gillespie from Reason interviews him, and he's like, so, and this is like, I don't know, when did that come out? Eight years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago, something like that. So, is there any other, like, commonly used substance mm-hmm. that is currently illegal mm-hmm. uh, creating a lot of black markets um, that you could see as being kind of you know a parallel story where we could learn some of the lessons like what are the contemporary lessons mm-hmm. uh, that uh, your documentary has for uh, for society and Ken Burns like yeah no you know, mostly for me, it's about like why the tea party uh, really has a bad idea with uh, being like single issue fanatics Wow. And it's like, no, 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 dude. The answer is pot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yes. really easy. Yes. It's pot. Yes. It's obvious. Just give the answer. The answer is pot. Yes. And he like even was like, no, I don't think I don't think pot really qualifies. Like, no, <laughs> that's what it is. Yes. When tens of millions of people do a thing that other people have decided was a bad thing and is illegal, but they keep doing it anyways. No matter <laughs> yes. what, they keep doing it. Yes. And the rich people and the and the the, the In fact, you get no, more people doing it. His his documentary showed that drinking went up. Yes, exactly. it went up. So my point is, if you want kids to floss, outlaw flossing. You will literally have kids with the best oral hygiene they've ever had in the world. Just outlaw it. They'll be doing it all the time. And how many times have we heard, like, if even one kid dies? It's like, dude, you yes. have just outlawed Everything. the most effective smoking cessation thing ever invented. Yep. You just outlawed that. Yes, Absolutely. I completely agree. Yes. Uh, no, it's a, it's it's distressing uh, how often, I mean, Reason's been around since 1968, like mm-hmm. you and I have, and uh, and part of the joy is to go back through the archives and read, you know, 10 years ago and 20 years ago uh, and 30 yeah, sure, years ago. Sure, sure. And like, man, 
some arguments you got to keep coming back to. Yes. Jesus, how many yes. times do we have to tell you people yes. about why prohibition is bad? And the answer is you have an ass like Cuomo, you have an ass like Trump, and they mm-hmm. come to the same conclusion. Shouldn't that tell you something? Yes. The guy who ran the commercials about why he needs to be reelected governor because of Donald Trump totally agrees with Donald Trump yes. about this idiot thing. Absolutely. Maybe that's a time to step back. It's uh, uh, it's frustrating. Let's grab a call if we could. I want to grab uh, a call if I could real fast. This is... Uh, Bo from Virginia. Bo, how are you? Bo, are you there? Hey, Bo, are you there? From Virginia. Yeah. Hey, Bo, what's going on, Bo? Turn down how the radio, you? Bo. I'm doing great. Yep, Talk to me. <laughs> um, well, I I kind of had a question uh, for Mr. Welch here. Um, I we we're doing some of these um. We're doing some of these regional like markets for like media markets. Mm-hmm. Some of them are a little bit smaller, some are a little bit bigger. How do we build our relationships better with journalists at the lower kind of like medium to smaller market level? Are, are you talking as a party? Are you talking as a candidate? What are you talking about, Bo? Act, uh, general activism. Um, as an activist. And it could apply to all of those things. So you're asking, if I'm clear, you're saying, how does a libertarian activist or libertarian party member kind of mm-hmm. have a better relationship with local media? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, booze is always the answer uh, to, to touch on what we were talking about before. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, uh, it's like uh, it's like this, even if you're uh, uh, a 23-year-old kid just getting into journalism or or getting into podcasting or anything else what's the first thing that you do you find out everybody who is doing that thing in the areas or in the areas of expertise that are of interest uh, to you you follow all of them on twitter when they write something of interest you respond to them or you say if it's particularly good hey that was good or hey i know this thing about your thing that might be of interest uh you depending on what kind of size of organization you have or whether other overlapping organizations that you might be part of, you invite them to your things, Uh, you invite yourself to come over to talk to them about areas that you know they have demonstrated interest in and that you have demonstrated knowledge and relevant knowledge in. And um, that's a lot of conditionals right there. And I say that on purpose because you do not want to waste anybody's time. You don't want to be gray ponytail guy at the Ralph Nader press conference from the local Alt Weekly, back when we still held Alt Weeklies. uh, God bless them all. Um, You don't want to be the person who single issues someone to death with a half crazy look in your eyes about how you got to get rid of all private property or get rid of all government or whatever, even though you might believe uh, any of those things strongly. Um, You want to know what they need and how you can uh, furnish something that either they haven't thought of or actually is is some kind of interesting piece of information or connects them uh, to some kind of interesting piece of information. But the first step is just know and who's doing stuff, uh, who's blogging, who's tweeting, who's the TV reporter, who's out in the field doing covering X, Y, and Z. Find out their names, follow what they do, uh, and interact with them. Just that uh, process of information gathering will make you twice as, as effective as you were before. And from there, you can figure out a more kind of uh, outreach sort of social interaction thing. I would add to that. Um, you really want to be politely persistent 
right? You don't just want to send something off and go, that guy didn't respond to me. What a jerk. You don't want to be that guy, right? You want to be politely persistent. That's just your people who are like that with me. It's not you personally. (laughs) That's correct. Yes. (laughs) Right. You want them to be polite and all of a sudden, you know, send something out a week or once a month or, or be politely persistent, but something else. And it's going to sound crazy, but write this story for them. Literally give them a press release that is the story. They could literally pick it up and cut and paste it if they want to do with three tweaks. Send them a photo. Write the story for them. When it comes to local media, if you can send them the actual story with the photo and do it politely and consistently, you'll be shocked how all of a sudden one of your stories will be in something when it's a slow news day or something happens to fit or something happens to work. To, to, to Matt's point, try to stay on the similar point with specific people. If this guy covers politics, don't send him stuff about the latest sports team, right? Send him or her the stuff that they usually cover. So every once in a while when they need something, they might, act, they might actually reach out to you. A next piece of thing about, you can use social media. Right to Matt's point. You can reach out and send stuff to him that way. Talk to him that way. Go back and forth. It's amazing how often that I would all of a sudden out of nowhere get an article that I had, had no idea I would get because I've been reaching out to this person, or I did, my team was, um, for literally three or four months. Once a month, every three weeks, couple of weeks, send them something. And before you know it, boom, something's up there. And it's the photo we gave them. And it's the basically the press release that we gave them with a couple of tweaks to it. It does happen here or there. And if they get a good response to it, they'll come back to you again. So you want to be able to do that. And the other thing that Matt said, which is totally on board, constantly invite them to things. If you're doing events, invite them. The worst they can do is ignore it. But once in a while, they'll show up. I remember one time during a campaign, I went to an event in Steuben County, and I had three different news crews show up randomly because it happened to be a slow news week at the right place at the right time, and I got video and I got newspaper all in one event. Next event, nobody's there. (laughs) So it just happened to happen. So I would say what Matt said plus persistent, polite persistence plus doing the work for them when appropriate, and you'll see sometimes you'll get rewarded. Was that helpful, Bo? Uh, that's probably one of the more refreshing things I've heard about activism in a long time. So thank you guys. I appreciate the uh, the insight. And, uh, you know, Stu Bend County did pretty well for you in your governor's race, I believe. Absolutely, uh, they keep, did. Keep keep going after those twin tiers. 100%, brother. 100%. The southern tier was good to me. Absolutely, it was. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yes. All right. Talk to I appreciate Thanks. it. Look, guys, I want to say thank you so much for uh, supporting the show. Head over to sharpway.com. I'm sorry. Head over to patreon.com slash sharpway. Support. If you want to see this happen, if you like the ability to reach out to me, to talk and to get some real answers and have someone not just give you the, we got to be better, to actually tell you what's going on, someone who cares and is trying to move this movement forward, please support us, patreon.com slash sharpway. We really need our help your help please do it i want to say thank you to matt welch so much i appreciate it it's amazing you came by thank you for some great conversation and hopefully i can bug you again you'll come back soon you bet all right thank you guys thank you so much i will see you next week right here 8 p.m eastern on the sharp way